questions, John. I think it's a good idea to introduce our other guests as well. Um, today we have Peter Winslow, David Tennis, and Emmanuel's brother, Dakota. Mm-hmm. And today, Emmanuel, what are we going to talk about? Uh, We're going to be talking about the current, uh, the current headlines in the newspapers, the Black Lives Matter movement, and the protests and riots that came along with it. Gotcha. Okay, so have any of you guys actually have, like, do you guys have any relation to any of this? Like, directly, are you affected by Black Lives Matter? I mean, I would say so, given that I'm a black man in America, and while I haven't necessarily directly faced police brutality, I know people who have, and I even know family who has. I've had my older brother, like, told us stories about being profiled when he was younger, so, I mean, it's everywhere in the black community, so, of course, I feel connected to it, because that could be me one day. Definitely. Emmanuel, do you feel the same? Yeah, I feel the exact same way. But have you experienced any police brutality or racial profiling or anything like that? Personally, not that I know of. I mean, of course, I hear stories of other people, but I've never directly myself experienced anything of that sort. Mm -hmm. So uh, could either of you guys explain what Black Lives Matter is? Actually, could anyone? (laughs) No? I mean, I guess... It's kind of hard to explain because in a way it is like a movement and an organization that has a founder and a founding group Mm -hmm. with a founding message, but it also rose pretty organically and has a lot of different connotations, like wherever it's set. So it was founded, Mm -hmm. like, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, after like the Ferguson situation mm-hmm. and uh, that death. And there was a lot of uprise because that happened after Trayvon Martin, which wasn't like police brutality, but it was also a racially, uh, racially driven shooting. So just uprising and then mm-hmm. the Black Lives Matter movement came and wanted to be a voice of wanting to address the civil injustice in terms of police brutality and the errors in our criminal justice system. So, and it's kind of pretty generally applied and set for anything that has to do with that. But I don't know, it's kind of hard to put your finger on exactly what it means. It's a, it's a broad yeah, movement no. for sure. Yeah. According to their website, and you are right about the Trayvon Martin thing. It was formulated in, or it was created in 2013 as a response to Trayvon Martin. Um, But yeah, like you guys are right. It is very broad. It says on their website, we affirm the lives of black, queer, and trans folks, disabled folks, undocumented folks, folks with records, women, and all black lives along the the gender spectrum. Our network centers those who have been marginalized within black liberation movements. So yeah, it's very expansive. Um, It covers like a lot, which I think is important because they're, Um, I know there are people that would make the argument that, like, for example, queer or LGBTQ plus, like, liberation and rights are, like, founded on the backs of black liberation and that movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I could understand that. Um, And so, according to the outline, the next thing is, what is white privilege? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I can talk about yeah, so extensively considering uh, my uh, history of growing up. So, like, I'm, yeah. I'm from a very small town in Red Wing, uh, excuse me, in Minnesota called Red Wing. It's like, I think, like, 17,000 people and, like, I think it's 87% white. Mm-hmm. And I think in, in, well, white privilege is like, there's a lot more to it than this. But I think the biggest thing is that through like my white privilege, I really affected me that I, I never really understood like racial disparity. I like, I knew that racism existed in America, but also I never really interacted with it like even secondhand and i think let's see i'm trying trying to think where i bring this but um (laughs) no yeah and so like i said like i really never really had interaction with or even saw except for on the news and whatnot this concept of and the reality of the racial disparity across America. So back in the like early 2010s, when I, the Black Lives Matter movement really started the, well, like started literally, it really seemed like an alien subject to me. Like this concept of saying Black Lives Matter is just like, what? Like, I don't wanna, not saying this in the wrong way, but it seemed pointless in the fact that I was ignorant because I thought everyone's life mattered and I felt like that was something that remains like not needed to be said but as I've grown I've I moved up to the Twin Cities Minneapolis area I realized that these disparities do exist and through white privilege it really shielded my view of how the lack of equity in America has like affected so many communities and yes, like white privilege also has to do with just general like social difficulties for POCs and etc. But I think my biggest and many of the hurdles for white people is overcoming this white privilege and recognizing it. At least, yeah. I think uh, I have a. I, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I have a a statement that might make you feel a bit better. And this one, I mean, it surprises me to this day because of how stupid I was. But um, I think like right in like 2016 or actually like 2014, 2015, um, I actually was also on the wrong side of this Black Lives Matter thing. I was like, well, all lives matter. Like I was like, I didn't understand, you know, like that because the information that I was um, being given was from like people who. I mean, like in this area that we live in Kansas, there are like a ton of cops, like there are cops around literally every corner. And so everybody is very, you know, blue lives matter forward people. And so that was that was the idea that I was surrounded by, even though my own group of friends were a very diverse group of people. You know, there's Asians, there's blacks, there's whites, there was, I mean, Hispanics, like everything. But for some reason in my head, I had this like. I had this idea that no dude all lives matter like police brutality isn't really a thing like these are one-off cases and that without a doubt is definitely like my privilege allowing me to think like that (laughs) allowing me to ignore the situations that black folk have encountered for literally ever like it is 
like that is privilege like that is one form of this privilege is being able to ignore it simply because you don't want it and then being like not having any consequence for not standing up for your fellow man definitely i mean yeah yeah i I totally relate to that i mean we grew up in the same town and like we i I talked about this with you earlier i was (laughs) i was like I would have identified as right-leaning and up until probably junior year of high school. So I was, you know, when that first round of Black Lives Matter movements happened, I wasn't against it, but I was very kind of, in my head, I was viewed myself as some sort of like righteous centrist, even though it's so stupid. And so, yeah, I totally relate to that. A lot of it comes from just this, I'd say, like, innate defensiveness you see with uh, white people, I guess, and also, like, some of it with masculinity, too. Like, say, the the whole, like, feminist versus, e- like, equality uh, jargon or whatnot. Of, I, I just think there's a lot of defensiveness and, like, it, it gets to a point of toxicity where people are too afraid to realize that they've done anything wrong and Mm -hmm. so they just they do want something that is morally righteous but it it involves uh stepping back and realizing your own mistakes which i feel like a lot of people don't have the uh i guess like big picture thought to see right i think a lot of especially white americans think that this whole idea of white privilege means that they can't i I think they think that it means that any you know that that hardships don't exist for that that their group of people or whatever but i think they just they don't understand that like white privilege just means that as as a white person especially as a white male we don't go through this we we aren't scrutinized at the same level as black and brown communities we aren't we aren't in fear of you know being arrested for the same crime at a much higher rate we're not we don't have to go through unfair treatment economically doesn't mean like white people can't struggle but i think a lot of people interpret that that just because like you said they're kind of they're locked in this view where it's like they can't step back yeah the way my brother and i were talking about this yesterday and the way that i rationalized it was that if you can imagine a scenario or a situation where you are better off being white than you are being black. That is the definition of white privilege. Exactly. And I think there are numerous scenarios like that that you can point to in almost your daily life that that would probably be the case. Yeah, I think while it's easy to say that as someone like looking, looking at it, but as a person who like like Red Wing, the town I grew up in, really doesn't have a black community. We have a slight Hispanic community, a slight uh, indigenous community. But I think also it's just this disconnect between. Uh, I mean, there definitely is disconnects between like white culture, black culture, and just like overall American culture. So i think like the lack of education and the lack of my own personal knowledge of black communities and the disparities they face and other minorities um that was also a major factor Mm -hmm. like it just wasn't something that i really ever thought about besides 
every once in a while hearing about it on the news or whatnot. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it wasn't really something that I like. I had definitely the privilege of not having to talk about it until in the very like in somewhere I never thought I would experience it. I experienced racism myself. Um, I'm so I'm I'm mestizo, so I'm half Filipino and then uh, half European, and but I'm white passing. So you know, like if you look at me, I'm I look pretty white, but you know, like during the summer I get really brown. That that's about it, right? And I have dark hair. Um, and I experienced racism in Germany because I was like the brown kid that spoke German, but the like I didn't think like I never gave two thoughts about you know being a person of color somewhere where it's predominantly white and so like that the even that really small encounter made me realize that i i need to pay attention like i need to open my eyes more um to the people that are suffering back home because like it it became very real Mm -hmm. you know i think in 2016 vic mensa um who's a rapper from chicago released an album called there's a lot going on um and I, i listened to it you know before i left for germany and then when i got back and it was like two different messages. Like I finally understood. It's like I didn't lock the bit of the, the song, or like the entire album. Um, and I, th- I think like media has been a good way, at least for me, to kind of, um, I guess understand, you know, even a little bit more about like the black experience. And I think an artist that did a good job of explaining it to a white, to a predominantly white crowd was Macklemore, um, and his song "White Privilege" too. Uh, he did a good job of explaining the difference between equity and equality, which is something I think needs to be discussed more. It's like we're we're past the point where equality is what we want, mm-hmm. like what we want for black communities. Like it's equity, right? Yeah. But I think I think people struggle to understand what equity is, right? Because like you know the the fire on house, like the burning house analogy. Was I the only one that didn't understand that when it first was like on the news and stuff? You're talking about how they say like, like they're talk how they explain Black Lives Matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How they're like, if one house is burning, you don't put water on all the houses. You put it on right. the one that's burning the most. I think that one did not make sense to me for the longest time. And then I listened to the song, and then I listened to the entire Vic Mensa album, which covers police brutality and um, being black in America and among and other things. But then it finally made sense to me that like yeah it's you just need the one that's on fire like not everybody needs it where if you put it on all houses then that's equality but if you put it on just the house that's burning then that's equity right and i think this this can bring us to the topic of the people who say all lives matter and blue lives matter Mm -hmm. because if we because this in my opinion if we if we say that black lives matter this is a claim of wanting equity like we yep. want everybody to get what they deserve. And in this situation, African-Americans tend to, to be getting the raw end of the stick every time that we go against, almost every time we go against uh, any police officers. Uh, we tend to always be treated in a different manner and oftentimes worse. And then we're, on kill, we're then killed on the street in comparison to whites or maybe even other races. I think it's if we look at like white privilege or or not white privilege or all lives matter. If we look at the people who say all lives matter, we have to look at why they're saying this and what the ramifications of saying this actually is. And I think if 
if one says all lives matter or blue lives matter for that matter for that matter i think it is taking away from the idea of equity we're saying that we need help mm -hmm. we are in dire need of something to change but then people are saying well all all lives matter all lives are are important People. and we shouldn't be focusing on one group even though maybe I something's think, happening we should be focusing on everybody mm -hmm. yeah. well i think a lot of it just goes back to that like defensiveness is people need the empathetic ability to realize that they are in the wrong and their own actions and also inactions are causing this problem yeah. and i think people just they get defensive and like yeah not all cops are bad cops but also you can't just make a blanket statement saying that all cops are good and we're blowing this issue out of proportion yeah i definitely want to get back to that um all caps cops are bad cops but we'll, we'll leave that Peter, yeah i just like that? yeah the problem i don't know i find because i used to like i like we just discussed i used to be the one who would say oh why don't we say all lives matter blah blah, blah. And especially that, and even more so, Blue Lives Matter, I just find so problematic because it, it seems, it, it's not, people will treat it like they're actually concerned. You know, they'll hear Black Lives Matter and say, well, what about Blue Lives? What about cops? What about, and they, they, a lot of times they'll treat it like a concern, but it's really a deflection. It, oh, it's yeah. not, it's not that they, and you know, I'm sure some people do, but a lot of times, especially in like far right media, it, it's not used as something they actually care about it's used as a way to you know distract from the struggle and and you know like we talked about like the black lives matter movement the existence of white privilege and you know the harassment and like horrors that have been going on in the black community and so that, i don't know it's just really problematic to me and i hate i hate that it's been it, it's just used as like a way to to kind of digress. Well, it's not yeah. even, they're not even like reactionary, like initially reactionary social movements. They're secondary and tertiary movements that are just, I don't know. It's exactly what you're saying. It's just like these people are reactionary and trying to defend themselves. But anyway, I cut yeah. uh, someone off. I don't know if you cut anyone off, but I, I definitely oh, agree sorry. with both of you guys. I think it's important to realize that, like, nobody's saying police don't matter. Nobody's saying, be, like, you know, your life is insignificant. Nobody's saying that. Mm -hmm. it, it's literally just like, it's a it's a plea for equity. Yeah. And, you know, like, I, I agree with Peter, like, in saying that it's very, like, irksome. It's just, it bothers me to my core because it's like, you're being selfish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're being so selfish when you take up that space to say, all lives matter. And then you're like Peter said, you're using it as a, as a deflection, a way to avoid the conversation about black lives matter, because for some reason you feel the need to hear all lives matter or to hear that you are significant in society. It's like, cool, mm -hmm. whatever. Like we know white people are predominant. That's not what matters. What matters is that underserved communities, underrepresented, like, Un, like people of like literal communities that are not given proper justice but are being affected by a system that's supposed to uphold it deserve like fairness they deserve justice mm -hmm. and that that bothers me so much when people say all lives it's matter. such a cop out and i, I agree. 
honestly, I might even go f- even further in saying it's it's kind of covert racism. Oh, I yeah, I agree. It's, oh yeah, right. Ooh, explain. If of course it's not overt racism, just saying that you are you are insignificant and I am superior to you. But instead, it's saying, or it's just deflecting from what actually needs to be done from the actual prejudice that is there. It's saying it's honestly kind of saying that that's not there. It's just saying that that's that's nothing's happening. All lives matter. Black mm-hmm. lives are not as, are not at risk in any 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 circumstance. It's a denial, right? Dakota, what do you think? Yeah. So, like a while ago, I heard this like simile or like comparison, like comparing this to like when we talk about cancer and like how there are like multiple cancer societies. There's like breast cancer societies and like movements to support like pancreatic cancer awareness and it's like pointing at that and being like no you can't have individual movements for specific cancers because all cancers matter yeah like you know that obviously doesn't make sense obviously some cancers are different than others some maladies are more invasive than others some are Mm -hmm. affecting more people than others and that's exactly what's happening in this case we have a community that appears to be targeted and is more vulnerable to abuse because of their race from authoritarian figures in their own communities. And to try to create a statement in spite of the movement that they're trying to go forward, like go towards like saying all lives matter in spite of Black Lives Matter. I don't know, it's just, it could either show like a lack of understanding, a blissful ignorance, or as my brother was alluding to, it can show a little bit more of malice in terms of like trying to ignore the problem at hand. I, I think that's a big thing is that this distinction between overt racism and then like, I guess, microaggression slash societal racism is... My idea of racism up until a couple of years ago was this sort of like monster in the closet thing of like someone shouting uh, uh, like the N word or something from a, a car at someone or yeah, or I don't know, something direct. But I think so many people don't understand mm-hmm. there's so many other societal and uh, like uh, other aggressions and factors that are here that aren't as direct and seeable in physical yeah no I, I i agree with that i was talking to uh my previous roommate and he's he's pretty conservative um and so he like when i talked to him i like i mean if you guys have been listening to anything i've said during the the history of this podcast i'm like pretty liberal so <laughs> like when we have these discussions it's like oh my god like you know like these they're clashing so hard and one thing he's saying he's like you know i don't really see the the issue like these people just kind of need to stop you know like change will happen like you know whatever and it's like that 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 passivity like how the hell can you can you think like that and then something else that he said was like um was that like he's like i really don't think racism is a thing in america anymore and i think i would i would make yeah exactly i was like i would make the claim that it's worse than in the last 50 years because although it's not as overt it's everywhere because as new forms of communication have come about you like you see it on everything like any any 
social media platform, it's there. Any search engine, it's there. Any community that you live in, it's there. Whether you're a person of color, you're still like there are still signs of racism in that. Mm. You know, and there are those that claim, um, I forget who wrote the book, but the book White Fragility, um, Emmanuel and I were discussing this earlier, claims that there is no racism, like I think it's reverse racism does not exist. Yeah, that black people and pe- other people of color cannot be racist. Yeah, that's that's a I definitely I have like started to agree with that, especially in the last couple of years. But it's definitely I think that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of white people. I think it's I mean, there's I don't know. I personally was sort of against the whole uh, like how like individuals that have experienced racism can't be racist themselves. But I think there just needs to be more of a distinction between racism and how it's more of an institutional yeah. thing. And then uh, racial discrimination being a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I think it's like definitely a case of defining our terms because mm-hmm. I don't know so much just being lumped in to the definition of racism Mm -hmm. like we see a conflation and kind of a combination of like overt and covert racism and if you do one or if you do either you're racist (laughs) but then in recent times like even at my school and a lot of conversations we see the addition of this metric of power in and the concept of racism and i think that's where that idea of they're not being such a thing of as reverse racism as in like what white people can't be racist and uh, vice versa white people cannot be the victims of racism right just because it's that aspect of power since black people are virtually subordinate in our society Mm -hmm. therefore they can't be racist i honestly don't think that I guess we just need to come to an understanding whether that variable should be part of it or not. But like, Mm -hmm. I don't see people actually having that conversation. They're either assuming it's part of it or the other side's assuming it's not. Definitely. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to add what my, so I asked my cousin about this. Who's a, um, she's, partially indigenous and she's very active within that community and i asked her about it because she's like soup like she's a mega activist um and she said uh i'm on the fence about it because in this specific historical and political context saying that poc cannot inherently be racist really does erase legacies in which elitist poc in positions of power can and have done that Mm. i mean i think that's really oh um you go. Oh, I was just gonna say, like the way, like Dakota was saying, like the power, the power concept is really important, and so mm-hmm. uh, that's that's important to keep in mind. And also, at least the way I've kind of internalized it was, if if a person of color, you know, black, brown, or whatever, is prejudiced against me, that's not going to affect me at all the same way that it would affect a person of color that I was prejudiced against. And that's, that's the distinction I make because there's, you know, this country is built upon, you know, de jure and de facto racism. That is like a part of the system that we've, we've expunged a lot of it, but it's still there. And 
it was built on the black the backs of you know people of color indigenous peoples and so there's that history there's the fact that the vast majority of power is concentrated among white people and that you know any anything that i do that is prejudiced has so much more weight than anything that a person of color would do against me yeah i think a lot of it goes one way yeah i think it has to do with the i like peter said it's systematic whereas i feel like racism has to do with the whole culture and then uh, like a racial um, discrimination is more individual, but not saying that like an individual action can't be viewed as racism, which I guess goes to sort of that one way street. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I sort of like it to view it as a separation of a sort of like contingency of multiple things versus individuals, but that might be oversimplification. Wouldn't it be better to, because in, in my opinion, I think, that African Americans, just like white Americans, can be racist. I think everybody can be racist because it's just prejudice based upon race, just based upon the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. But I understand again the appeals to power and how power factors into the kinds of racism. So I guess my question is, wouldn't it be better if you know we as a society or just people used another word to describe the racism with the power than actually using racism in and of itself then causing confusion potentially from it i would say yeah because like we don't like to have that like you need words to describe very specific things like Mm -hmm. for example intersectionality was like like within our lifetimes was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw Mm -hmm. to describe the intersection of sexism and racism that affects women Mm -hmm. of color specifically. Right. So like, why wouldn't we need something that describes this power dynamic that is being played off of racism? I think maybe part of it, part of the reason that's kind of hard is because there's a, there's like a continuity of, of oppression. So, you know, it, it was racism. Then it was, racism without slavery and now it's racism without de jour laws like and and so isn't that going back though like isn't that like jim crow that's what i'm saying is it's all racism but it's like it's there's a continuity of it and to think it would not necessarily take away from things but it would be hard to kind of integrate in a whole new term that has as much power and is and and is as easily recognizable as what like this is racism. I, so I, don't know. I feel like that's why racism. Well, I feel like racism should be rebranded into this like something. It has to do with the power dynamic, and that's sort of why I think like we should step back to view racial discrimination as like the singular act, but right, the I call that of that, like Peter was talking about. Yeah. Okay. But is that what's the definition of systematic racism if not the addition of like that factor of power and the factor of go- governance and like legislation and law and justice? I feel like people cuz I don't know, I feel there's a lot of talk about like communities and like communities going against each other, sides going against each other. But it's that's fine in terms of like systematic things because we have 
governments, judicial systems, and other systems that use that power to subvert Black people and other people of color. But then you also have the individual levels, kind of like what Dave was Dave was talking about with like, there's like prejudices that everyone has. And once you aggregate those, those they're just as important as the systematic racism that we all like care about. And it's like super evident that we obviously want to abolish. So I don't know, I think they're both mutual, but the solutions are likely going to be different. Therefore, it's going to be really important to, like, create that dichotomy and try to tackle those both, like, as one, but also separately. Mm. Mm. I agree with that. So I would say that it's definitely important. Um, I, I would say it's definitely important to talk about, like, what, what we define these terms as. Because, like, when I had this conversation initially with Emmanuel, um, we it's like without this definition or like without defining what we mean when we say these things we get nowhere in the discussion just as dakota said. yeah um and i think i think we can kind of get to this idea um or this acronym acab mm-hmm. so it's all i mean for those of you that don't know it's all cops are bastards and um it, it's like I recently saw something that kind of explained it because, you know, I heard that, but I was like, what, what of it? Like, why specifically that word bastards? And someone was like, it's part of a bastardized or a corrupted system um, that has like systemic institutional racism within it rather than saying bad. Because although Jim, the cop from down the street could be a good guy, he is part of a corrupted system. Right. Interesting. I hadn't heard it explained that way, so... Hearing it explained that way makes me a little more, a little warmer towards it. <laughs> like, as opposed to, like, as how, how much, like, abrasive at first I thought it was. But how did um, you hear it first? I mean, I just thought, like, obviously, you hear, like, things where, I don't know, like, recently I've been hearing things that, like, yeah, some people say that there are bad cops, but then most cops are good. But, like, what is a good cop if they let bad cops exist mm-hmm. or whatever? Therefore, like, all cops are bad. So I just I, thought it was basically the same thing or even worse. So I, I don't I, know. To say, I don't know. You can go ahead. I feel like it has to do with, whereas, like, I don't know, I feel like I've seen a lot of, like, fuck the police, fuck 12, uh, in terms of graffiti around here, and I don't view that as, like, a personal attack against a specific police officer, but like you said, it's part of a system that somehow allows these few bad eggs to continue to serve as officers of the law. Like, the fact that... Derek Chauvin had 15 conduct complaints over his, I think, 19 years, or the fact that he was involved in another potentially racially motivated shooting, albeit non-fatal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I American think I think policing the... is so forgiving. <laughs> and oh, so you go, you go, Peter. Yeah, like I, I, I think the 
the, the core of what all these things mean are pretty similar. It's just things like a cab and fuck 12 are just so like vitriol and they're so, they're so recognizable. You know, if people were going around and whether or not you agree with graffiti or anything, like, I think you'll agree with this. If people were going around and spray painting an essay about why cops are bad or, or just saying cops suck or cops aren't good or the, the institution of the police is bad. No one would, it, it doesn't catch your eye. Like, like fuck 12 or all cops are bastards and it's, it's, it's recognizable. It's there. It's like a phrase that everyone sure. can know. And so at the end of the day, they have different origins and things, but I think they all, they all come down to the fact that the police institution and the, a lot of the laws and, you know, um, kind of things that they stand for are rooted in a society that, that had racism built into it and still has remnants of that racism. And so when a cop, you know, is, is corrupt, they're, they're not dealt with because it's part of the system. There is, there's white supremacy inherent to, especially the police system. It's like accounted for, you know, when they're, when they're doing the, when they're, yeah. Like when they're like, you know, tiling things off, it's like, Oh, a little bit of racism check. Like it's okay. You know? Um, And my cousin, I asked her about this because she's like, you know, super fuck cops and stuff. And she said, they're, Every, all cops are like there are no good cops because all are complacent yep. in an occupation with deep roots in anti-blackness racism and settler colonialism everything about law enforcement and policing is aimed towards domesticating and suppressing black and brown people of course there are individuals who are not themselves violent or and or racist but as long as they rationalize the whole quote-unquote under doing their job un, or just doing their job argument it doesn't excuse them from do what they're getting paid to do, which is protect, quote unquote, settler, often white majority affluent neighborhoods. And then this also brings me to this Mises, Mises Institute article for, uh, that addressed why police cannot and will not protect our rights because they don't actually have nope. to. Allow me to play devil's advocate. <laughs> Go for it. So I have there are two points that I want to touch on. The the idea of all cops being complacent, uh, specifically what we were what the quote that you were just reading. Mm -hmm. the The job of a police officer, as just just as it is written, is to serve serve and protect society and the communities in which they are serving and protecting. If we say that policing is, or that the idea of policing is to, in essence, subjugate black and brown people, and we should just completely abolish it, who's going to protect us? What do we do from then? Yeah. So are you asking, should we, or what would happen if we abolished the police? Right. I mean, um, I've, I've heard... Um, like a, a possible solution, I think it, that was proposed by Angela Davis, was to abolish the police force and use that money to give back to communities because we've like we've seen like wealthier communities and communities that have access to proper resources like education, 
healthcare and you know whatnot tend to have lower crime rates anyway mm-hmm. so essentially you're you're just reducing who's willing to be a criminal by make by giving people the equity that they needed to begin mm. with yeah like i but i i don't think that the like i don't think police should be abolished but the i think that the current system of policing that we have right now needs to be uprooted so like my my at least the way i view it is there's there's a lot of people who want you know police to be abolished but i don't think that's the the answer i think the answer is to basically start with a clean slate because we we need to make sure that there's not racism built into the training of police into the like mindset this kind of like tribal mentality of police when they become an officer because because like they they're trained to protect each other more than they are to to like serve almost like i mean yeah there's a federal ruling that said that quote uh a federal judge ruled that the government agencies quote had no constitutional duty to protect students who are not in custody and right we need we need people to protect us like i i i don't think there's there's a system where we can just say hey don't break the law because then we get into things where it's it that's a true it's like on well and then even then how are the communities going to be protected when you have the only type of policing is going to be able to be bought and so there, there needs to be, an, yeah, there needs to be an organized system, but it, the system we have right now is just, it, it's so corrupt and it needs to be changed. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with the idea that like policing in general is like a bad system and therefore like shouldn't like exist and in and of itself supports white supremacy. And I would argue, and I'm fairly certain of this, there are more cops in predominant black communities than there are like in white communities protecting those white communities. So I think it's more of a fact of like choosing to be in specific communities because you know stuff's going on there but i guess you can argue they're trying to keep it in that space Mm. but i honestly don't think it's like the sole purpose of our police is to protect communities like olathe from stuff that happens like in like wyandotte county Mm -hmm. it's more of like keeping like controlling i would argue it's a better like a better argument is to say they're trying to control like black communities rather than saying that they're trying to protect white communities yeah i feel like even though they might like conflate but still Mm. i feel like the racism we see a lot of the racism excuse me we see in uh, police force and uh, law enforcement is more reactionary to the cultural racism. Uh, this is, I, I get my perspective, but just looking at like innately like person of color communities and whatnot will be lower income. And that inherently usually causes a higher crime rate. And these are all because of 
racial and discriminatory factors from our the entirety of our uh, nation's history. But mm-hmm. I think we need to like take a view of this not just as a cop problem, but as a societal problem. And I think. I don't know. Like, I think we there is racism in our law enforcement, but I think it's two big issues of the entirety of societal racism in America. And then you have the catalyst of over militarized and over aggressive police forces. That's part of our culture as well. Yeah, the the militarization of the police forces are definitely like a huge issue. But my thing about that is that I guess I would like to know what people mean by that. Because, like, when you say demilitarize police, like, what does that mean? Cause, like, take away their weapons? Yeah, right? Because, like, that wouldn't change the outcome. See, like, there's a lot of people the outcome have... of George Floyd. Yeah. Right? Right. Like, that wouldn't change the outcome of just, like, a random police officer with his handgun chasing down and shooting Philando Castile. Like, I don't understand how like if you're talking about like their techniques and like the mindset of like these people like lawbreakers are enemies then sure but i don't know if it's just like just taking away their weapons isn't gonna do much in my opinion yeah i mean oh definitely i think it's something that requires more than just de-escalating their equipment but um, I mean, I like going back to Red Wing, we're a county seat. And so we have the county SWAT. We, there's no reason that we need, I think it's six or seven, like heavily militarized armored trucks. Like I'm all for having appropriate uh, tools for law enforcement. And we do live in a society where firearms are a common uh, property of a lot of people. So that's something that needs to be taken into account. So I don't Definitely. think taking away or miss, uh, m- not giving enough proper force to law enforcement is a good idea. But I think it's a de-escalating equipment while also de-escalating the whole, I like militarized view of law enforcement. Like uh, a quote that comes to mind is, it's like common in law enforcement apparently is. Um, better to be judged by 12 than carried by six which is i don't know it, it's Ooh. shitty like fuck <laughs> I, I think like i kind of think to um go back to what david was saying about i guess demilitarizing the police or like even passing legislation regarding um i guess a reset of police i think it was uh dwight d eisenhower in 58 who said I do not believe that all these problems can be solved just by a new law or something that someone says with teeth in it. And this was in reply to Little Rock and the desegregation that was going within that. It's like you like we I think although I think we need to, you know, address the police um, and kind of like curb that. I, I don't know what the best way to go about it is. I mean, uprooting it and changing the fundamentals of how they're trained. Um, what tools are given, what's like what their purpose mm-hmm. is, I think is necessary. Um, I don't know about demilitarizing. Like I, I think like they should be equipped to handle situations, but I, I'm not I'm not a huge gun guy, so <laughs> pretty pretty like I guess you could say I'm a no one for that one. Um, but I, I definitely think that we need to address 
people's perspectives on race first. Yeah. But I mean, because like, I don't know. like we're not going to change anything if we go forward with a racist mentality in America. That's just going to work its way back into our laws and leg- legislation regarding cops. So, like, why didn't Definitely. it? And because that was like the civil rights movement. That was that was you know they dismantled all these racist laws, but it, there's still so many problems. So it's like, what's what like? If, if we just keep saying, hey, let's let's talk about how racism needs to end, and then it doesn't, like, how how do we change that other than just uprooting the system? And I'm not saying, like, oh, revolution, but stuff like... But, like, how else can Yeah, you? that's, I don't, and... I guess, like, I don't know, not go for I was it. just saying, like, it, I, I can say that, like we just said, like, I can say that from a place of privilege. I've not had to deal with the hardships that do come with uprooting systems like that, because... It, it would cause, you know, there would be bumps in the road, especially if you're going to completely change the way that policing occurs. That's that, that's probably going to have more issues in communities such as poor black communities than it is like me in Olathe, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Dakota, you were going like, to say I guess, yeah, you, would, you could point to like how, yeah, okay, our schooling systems were mostly integrated. We're like, they were virtually forced to integrate like during the late 50s, early 60s by like Brown, B. Board and subsequent cases. But you still see like there's plenty. Mm-hmm. There's like, I'm pretty sure, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure like school systems are as segregated or even more segregated now than they were during the 19 like 60s and 70s yeah because there's so much like self yeah they just found a different way things to do that it. happen like exactly and it's not even like some you could say is partially uh you could say is partially like legislative and institutional like some people argue that like state tax fundings or like county fundings and property taxes pay for their education so they can siphon rich monies into wider communities and poor like poor funds into the blacker communities and stuff like that but there's still a sense of people wanting to like stay amongst their own yeah and and i think that's on both sides honestly like my brother and i come from a nigerian community that likes to stick on our own that we feel a self like a sense of culture and we're proud of our coach exactly a sense of identity that honestly like growing up we it's not been the same as if we were just like african americans whose like ancestors were brought here on slave boats like we are almost taught to feel different Mm -hmm. And you oh, see yeah. that amongst like a lot of other communities, and I don't, even think. I don't know. It's just like an understanding of like, and I guess that's kind of like the theme is like, what is our goal? Like, do we want to have societies where we are okay with each other, but like we don't want to, like we still see color, still feel like we should only be comfortable with people that look like us feel the need to only stay with people that look like us or do we want to go to a society kind of like what mlk was saying where no one is just like by the color of, yeah 
no one is just by the color of the skin, just their character. Like a would, true meritocracy. Would your argument? Would your argument against the the idea of a colorblind society be like a lack of cultural identity, or like a stuffing of cultures? Because like there, I there are so. cases where I mean, and it's not even like rare. Like if you if you look at um, like indigenous people that are in the Pacific Islands who are who have to resort to relocating because their islands are like getting deeper in the water because of um, rising levels of water. They're just being relocated mm-hmm. to like the nearest country or whatever, and then they're being forced to assimilate. Mm-hmm. But because they come from a completely different perspective, they don't want that. They don't like this isn't mm-hmm. the solution that they wanted. You know, if anything, like just use buckets to get the water off their island, if that actually worked, right? Like so, I mean, and like back to this idea of like sticking with your own. Like in when jazz started to become like a bigger thing. When uh, jazz started to move like north into like Chicago, there was huge redlining, and communities of like black people weren't even allowed to settle. So and so they had to form. Um, I I forget what the street is in Chicago, but if you go to uh, Southside Chicago, yeah, there's like yeah, one street, and then south of that you see poverty, and then north of that you see affluent white neighborhoods. Like I think the University of Chicago is like right there. And I mean that that that's, I think that's kind of part of that identity. But speaking to this idea of colorblindness, or you know, like hyper tolerance for each other, I, I don't know. I I I, I don't know because coming as a like from a person of color but white passing, like in the Filipino community, you know, you know the other Filipinos. It's it's similar to the Nigerian community in that. Um, and, you know, growing up as, like, as a mestizo, I was always taught to be, like, um, to, you know, just, like, be aware of other people and their situations. But I was never, um, I never had to deal with this idea of, like, oh, you're a different Asian. You know, like, Dakota, it sounded like you were explaining as if, like, African Americans were one thing, but African immigrants were another. Yeah. Right? And that's and how like, it feels. Yeah. From and I, both I feel like... To... Right. And I could so not much relate of to what, that. So much of what makes African American culture is the I- inherent racism in our society, and it must have been so weird to have to inherit that and still be labeled as like part of the black person of color community, but still not have that. Really I guess innate yeah. cultural uh, knowledge. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. that's part of the like horrific like the horrifying history of slavery is that we not like we but you know the white man stripped hundreds of thousands millions of people of their culture and you know they had to kind of the the beautiful thing is they kind of came together and now there's something new but it definitely creates a a distinction between you know African and then African American and African immigrant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If you yeah. look at like the in- integration of indigenous peoples into the America, like that is like a primo example of what you're talking about, Peter. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was just gonna say kind of what David was saying. Like he pointed something out that's really important, and like I struggled with because. I don't know, I've always been a person to 
tend to want to idealize like looking more at people as individuals as, <clears throat> rather than just like as like monolithic like as parts of like monolithic communities but in the same way and like trying to kind of understand why we have a black community despite like there being such a myriad of different types of black and like black experiences and everything and that but we're brought like the the weird thing is we're brought together by the injustices that we face mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we're yeah. brought together because when someone sees me or my brother they're not gonna be like oh this is a nigerian american so we're gonna treat him like one mm-hmm. no like they see a black man and all the biases and all the things that they insinuate from that come with that regardless of I'm Nigerian, Cameroonian, Jamaican, or just an African-American, like, that's what brings us together, and I don't know, it's something that we're almost forced to embrace at this point, and it's why, like, we see so much less, like, there's not as much traction on like the colorblind movement like i would say that most people would disagree with mlk if that was said today right uh, yeah because right. they feel like there's so much of an identity in blackness that no we are we are not at the point where we can just ignore that ever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even like now definitely not but even like ever i don't think so just because there's so much entrenched in being black that has been become innate in us due to, I mean, American history mm-hmm. and basically mm-hmm. like Western society history. Like, right. We can't pretend this yeah. is just an American problem. It's yeah. easier to look like for us, it's easier to look at it from the American perspective. But like going to Europe, I definitely like felt weird, like just yeah. kind of walking through different communities. Like I studied at Oxford and like traveled around a little bit. And I don't know, I feel like I got some weird eyes at times, like you don't often see kind of like a black man just walking around at like tourist attractions in like London or at Oxford or at like some palace in the middle of England. Like it's just, and we see plenty of like racial issues there. So I don't know. There's just an aspect of like, I don't know for lack of better like phrase, like a shared struggle between black people almost all over the world. That's kind of connected us forever. Yeah. They've, they've like, they're like historically demonized in in you know cultures around the world yeah which i i mean a lot of that probably just comes from the western influence of like european influence upon uh world's culture which is unfortunate yep. as well just because of their reliance on african slaves for a very large portion of colonization do you think a part of like because it's interesting when you look at the U.S. compared to other countries, because we're so there's there's so many cultures, whereas a lot of European cultures are so like like homo, homo, yeah, homogenous, like they just want. Or in, I mean, really anywhere else. Like my my sister in law is from China, and like my brother went there to visit her family, and he said even being a white guy they were like whoa what and and they would come up and you know talk to him and and 
you know, he not necessarily like dirty looks, but he would get weird looks. And so it's like, there's all these homogenous countries. And then there's not that there's not other countries similar to the U S but then there's the U S which is this huge, you know, like just kind of like center point just because of like the way we kind of enacted like cultural imperialism. Yeah. Yeah. Like an experiment, but like after this many years, we're literally still like a social experiment Definitely, that we haven't really reached a conclusion about whether it works or not. I don't think we will. Like, I, I really don't Definitely think not. there there is an end, especially not within our lifetimes. I mean, no. like how even even within like the Philippines, like if you go to northern Manila, it's like all people like me, all mestizos, whether they're white passing or not is a different question. But everybody is like almost everybody there is considered like a rich person and they're like a rich Filipino because they're like they have like Spanish blood. You know, they speak Spanish, they speak Tagalog, they speak English. And then if you just go around Manila, most people just speak Tagalog or a little bit of English or even a lot of English. And then if you go to, South, like, I think it's like Southeast Manila or something, it's a whole bunch of white people. It's just a giant, rich, white community. Like, we see the the this, like, idealization of white culture all over. Like, if you look at Korea, even, like, this idea of... Um, you know, being yeah. Pale. Like, yeah. Pale. Like, is that not well, the, the pale thing has that has like historical implications before Western imperialism. That's also but, true. But definitely, like the the plastic surgery to change their eyelids and change the nose, like shape of their nose, stuff like that is definitely um, not necessarily sad to see because i'm not going to tell someone what they want like what they can or can't do with their body but it's 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 kind of um sad to see like a culture want to just assimilate into like white people's ideal looks yeah and i I think american culture is like a huge like part of perpetuating this idea like i when i was in germany my friend alex explained to me it's like think of the smaller countries and who they look to like if you if you're in like europe for example like luxembourg looks to a bigger country like germany Mm. germany looks to bigger countries like russia or the united states and so when everybody's watching you and as dakota said a giant social experiment so if everybody's watching you test whatever is going on in your society and they see you or they glorify you in some way, then, you know, who knows how that can impact the cultures abroad. But if we're if we're staying local, like we're, we're seeing communities like shame people for being of color, even if you're not black, like to be white passing is like people still question you. They're like, what race are you? Who are you? Like, where are you from? And it's like, I mean, that, that like it, it's not. It's this is definitely selfish if I say that like this idea is not only about black people, but this conversation needs to be about the the injustices that are being brought to black people by this like a I want to call it oppression of like or I guess the projection of whiteness yeah. on blackness. I agree. That's like I I, I hope ideally. Because I agree, like, this isn't going to be something that can just be solved, like, quickly, especially not in our lifetime. But I do I do think it can be solved. It's just going to take a long time. I mean, 
I hope and like this and this is like really I guess ideal but like but let's say 300 years I hope there's a highly integrated society that isn't colorblind that still has like heavy heavy um appreciation for you know cultural backgrounds and cultural ideas but doesn't judge people based on those because I think you you need to appreciate and see color and culture but you need to not have systems that punish them if that makes sense yeah no respect for diversity yeah yeah absolutely Emmanuel you've been pretty quiet no, what I've just I've just agreed with most of what's being said, honestly. Gotcha. Uh, especially what uh, what Peter just said. I think I think that's the type of society in which I think would be best. Yes, it can be it can be colorblind to a certain extent, but people can ha- still have their own cultures. Everybody can be seen as being part of this culture, but not having anything negative happen to them because of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, necessarily. So I guess, I guess I had to, I don't want to like, derail this <laughs> no, go for it. Like, Do it. Combo too much. But like one, I was kind of gonna like, just say, okay, what if we settled for the goal of our society being like hyper, um, uh, what'd you say? I feel hyper tolerant. Like, yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good way of putting it. Like, still tolerant like everyone is viewed as just kind of having their own thing and that's kind of understood i guess my question like one is like and like the important question for like right now is like how do we achieve that Mm -hmm. is it is it through protests like we're seeing now is it through a revolution or riots like we're also seeing now or is there another way that and I obviously, I honestly think so. Is there another way that we're not really approaching that? Is the best way. And then I, I guess I feel like. Oh, go go. Wait, go there, Dakota. Like the second thing, <laughs> which is a little more abstract, is like, what does it mean for a collective identity? Then, like, how hyper tolerant do we have to be? Like, how minute of groups do we have to be? Like recognizing in order to be tolerant of and how do we like create a collective understanding of like our american community or our world community i i think like to answer the first part um like how could we get there and you know there's i really doubt i'm be able to like guess the way that you're thinking um but i think that all of the ways that you you listed were they're possibilities like you know it's you know it's totally I think it's totally possible to completely like hold a revolution and just like restart the United States. But I don't think that's the best idea. I think like if enough people were given the tools and the resources necessary, you could totally do that. Uh, But I, you know, that would, that would lead to a lot of losses of life. But I think the most, I want to this I mean this this is literally how I advocate and what I advocate to death is having conversations mm-hmm. like not asking people to explain everything to you especially in a day when a day and age when everything is literally at your fingertips you could type in google in whatever you can go to google scholar find sources you can 
like go down rabbit holes that you may not yeah yeah like you know nobody like i think that's the part like that's where people need to start i don't know if that's the whole route and i seriously doubt it is but that's definitely the start is having conversations breaking down this concept that racism is okay through Mm. these conversations because you know just because you're like you were you know you have like you have family that you know are from a different time and they're like oh but you know like just let granddad say that because he's you know he's from the 50s or whatever it's like no granddad shut up like no you don't get to say that you don't get to say that because that's not that's not okay that's not part of this idea of tolerance or acceptance so and then i guess in uh like the more abstract question number two is like i don't actually i don't don't even know i need to think on that one i in response to that uh, (laughs) all right i was just gonna say like I agree that, like, co- you know, conversation is very powerful. Um, that's part of kind of what especially kick-started, like, my shift from from being kind of, like, a more of a right-leaning moderate to now I'm pretty, pretty left-leaning. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, yeah, conversations are really powerful, but I do think they have, they have a limit because, yeah. like... I don't think conversations, I don't think talking to people is going to be what is able to end, you know, like the prison industrial complex that, that depends on mass incarceration and is largely dependent on the mass incarceration of black and brown people. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's a business and you have people at the top who are like determined to keep that business running. So I don't think you're going to be able to talk them out of it necessarily, but I do think conversation yeah. is very I important. Like I think it's like a, you have to have grassroots this, movements like that. Yeah. Having like the widespread understanding is really important, but I feel like we're to a point, at least in America where the positions of power and have stagnated so much that I really don't think we are uh enabled by our system to like have like major social change without Mm -hmm. the approval of the people in charge which i don't think there's much besides their own self-interest they can act in so i don't know i don't want to say like i'm pro revolution or anything because then i get put on a watch list uh i don't know you kind of feel like you have to be there yeah, I just think from history just keeps repeating itself from and yes, you can argue that you can rationalize the riots now because yeah, peaceful protests are shown not to work now. But like at what point are we going to keep on rationalizing uh greater and greater more and more and more extreme things, which I'd argue that yes, social disparity does rationalize extreme actions, but at some point, maybe we just need to rethink the entire system. Would you say that that would be like, if if we keep rationalizing these things, it would normalize them? Like normalize rioting? If like if rioting's not enough, then the next step, and then we we normalize that because we rationalized rioting. So why can't we rationalize this? Yeah, I that's what I'm saying. It's like I guess also like uh, eventual entire social upheaval would be the next rational step to probably rioting. So actually 
I just sort of argued against my own uh, <laughs> doctrine, I guess. So maybe, you know, I take that back, I guess. I don't know. I, I think it's just, yes, advocate, like advocacy and protesting are really important for spreading a movement. But also I think that we are on the cusp of either stagnating America in a further uh, military industrial complex entirely um, dependent on capitalism and uh, continue to maintain to subjugate minorities, or we can actually try to upheave the everything that's been put in place for the last 300 years and try to make something that's actually for the people. Gotcha. And I think one thing that I think is telling is that I remember, I, I recall you, David, saying that, you know, if we, we, we want to have some sort of large scale change, but the people who are higher up, the people who are in power will not let this happen. I think this is, this leaves open the argument to, you know, maybe we should rethink how we go to the ballot box, how mm -hmm. we actually put the people who are in power not letting us do anything in power you see i think mm -hmm. i think there's a large i think that voting is one of the biggest ways that things can possibly change i don't think it's i don't know if it's the best way i don't know if it's the most effective way but i think it is i think at this point it's better to go in this route changing how we look at voting and electing officials than maybe rioting and looting. Like, mm -hmm. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, yeah to an extent. Wait, wait, wait. I just want to reference, <laughs> reference um, Obama's tweet recently. Obama's even advocating for, like, he's he says, like, even though uh, voting at, like, the national election is, like, really important, voting local is also important. Because yes. if you really want change, you gotta you got to, like, you know, bottom up. And then top down at the same time. No, I agree completely. Yeah, the, the the modern way that media works is so sent like it, it has kind of dismantled the importance of localized government. And the people, I mean, a lot of people don't even like know when their local government elections are, and they don't realize how important that is. But also, yeah, we need. I mean, I agree. Voting is voting is the way we because we need policy changes and voting is the way to get policy changes but also the way that you know the voting you know we have the two-party system which isn't necessarily the worst way because it has benefited us in certain things but the the way that like elections work i think needs to be at least looked into there needs to be yeah. there needs to be some voter reform there needs to be i mean look at like trump he's he's constantly demonizing like mail-in ballots like it's something that's going to ruin ruin democracy when it there's no evidence of that mm -hmm. and so you have you have mm -hmm. the current you know whether or not he, he whether or not you think he's intelligent or whatever you have the what is often viewed as like the most powerful person in that government he, like actively kind of trying to tear down the what is this what is likely going there. to be the way that we have to vote in november yeah and so like uh, what do we do then what if we what if he pushes back the vote what if what if he he harms it in some way that that makes it unfair mm -hmm. i'll move i kind of gonna do my point and mm -hmm. that like yeah ideally 
we could vote people in to change everything, but mm-hmm. we have to analyze whether our systems are even built so that we can change these mm-hmm. uh, Oh, yeah. We talked True. about how a lot of this is, like, so, like, outside of it being systematic, is so instilled into a lot of American culture. And policy, as much as you may try, isn't meant to just, it, it can, but I wouldn't say the, not, the main purpose of policy isn't to, like, change culture. Yeah. And... I think that's going to require, and this might be just me being more accommodating of the more libertarian opinions I've like recently <laughs> been availed myself of, but like, I think it's going to require more than just like government mm-hmm. to do things. I think it's oh, going to require more like grassroots movements. And I think that's something important that we have to realize is that okay, I. it's obvious that, like, black people have been voting for Democrats since, uh, oh. since the Nixon-Kennedy election. Right. Uh, since that mm-hmm. Nixon election. And uh, Minneapolis has a Democratic mayor in a state with a Democratic governor. Oh. And that we're at the point where most people don't take the time to actually research whether, first of all, primaries aren't a big deal in a lot of states, only the extremes of like both parties vote in those. And then in the like main elections where most people vote, they're basically blindly voting for political parties. Yeah. So yep. if we just have a generic Democratic candidate versus a generic Republican candidate, right. I think it's obvious that that isn't working. No, and it has to be working. So I think it's going to take either a significant change in the governance, both, and that's what's hard. It's going to take changes in governance all the way from the local level, all the way to the federal. Level, yeah, which is insane. <laughs> yeah, but it's also going to take movements as individuals, like as people, to try to enact and try to change the culture and like change how we see these things and what we're actually going to be able to accept or not. What we choose to desensitize ourselves of. I don't know if this is like me being like selfish in in the way that I view the world because like I'm alive now, but it, it does feel like our generation kind of like, I know, Dakota, you're a bit older than us, but you still, like, <laughs> this is, like, our, we all kind of fall into that same generation. It feels like we've kind of, we've, we've been given the, like, mantle that, like, this is it. This is what, because we got, like, climate change. We have, <laughs> we have, Literally. like, the race relations yeah the you know potential make or break point of american politics whether or not that's true but like that's what i was saying maybe this is just me being like like wanting to gain some sort of like meaning out of the time that i'm alive but it does feel like there's this pressure on our generation to 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 kind of like this is it oh yeah yeah no i i I agree. Like, it feels like that. It feels like there's this weight that if we don't do 
everything that you just listed now, <laughs> human society is gone. <laughs> and I don't know, like, like you said, like, I don't know if that's like, you know, our, our, like me, like you or I being selfish or anything, but I think like we have to, like, we, I think it's a burden that we can't avoid, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause like whether the, like, whether people, you know, were discovering about environmentalism way back when, or people discovering that like racism is a thing that needs to be ended, or whatever, it this this like torch that we have to carry. It seems like, especially right now, we're being forced to prioritize, and yeah. that seems like a false dichotomy to me. You know, like why why do we have to choose whether or not we we fix racism in America or we fix you know the current environmental state of the entire planet? Like why can't we do both at the same time? And I think it goes back to what Dakota was saying: is that people are just blindly voting for the people that their parents or the people that they watch on whatever media outlet they prefer is saying to mm-hmm. vote for. And so we can't we can't have blanket people. We can't have boring people who are just like giving platitudes like we we need somebody that's actually doing something right and on all levels like local to top yeah i mean they're also like we enable that change yeah everything's so connected i feel like american society like politically and just culturally has so dependent on this sort of like stagnant idea of traditionalism and I feel like there's no really way to inspire this positive change without having an entire like reevaluation of our societal and cultural identity as member as citizens of the United States. And I don't know. I feel like it's yeah. This is the start of something that hopefully can inspire that, but I I you need something drastic to inspire that change. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. Cause it's like everything, everything is so connected because, cause like Sean said, like, what if, what if, let's say, let's say the next year real change is made and, and there's, there's very impressive and good changes that are made for race relations. And, you know, the black community is helped in ways that they haven't been in the past and things like that. But then we ignore something like climate change. And then what happens in the next 10 years when, you know, coastal flooding and intensified, you know, like climate patterns cause those same communities. I mean, they're going to be affected first. And so then, then then is is all that, is all that for nothing? Because I don't know. It's just scary. (laughs) That's, that's what I'm trying to get to is, is I'm just, I'm afraid of what, what's going to happen. I feel like so. So much of it is, I don't know, I, I don't want to sound like libtard promoting liberal agenda or whatnot, but <laughs> I mean, so much of it is promoting like awareness and like a furthering education. Because yeah. I mean, there's a clear correlation between this traditionalism, this conservatism that is, I would argue, counterproductive to a ethical and socially productive society. And the correlation is just like miss on education and like, Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, it feels weird to target like conservative views as something that's wrong, just because I don't know, like the innate responsibility of democracy and respecting all political views. But also, there's a point we need to realize: it's okay to point fingers at what is a clear cause. Yeah. Yeah. Dakota or Emmanuel, would you like to? 
see if you guys also feel pressured? I guess I was, I don't know. It's, that's quite literally the generational struggle of every living generation that is. Like, the earth has never been perfect. America has never been great. (laughs) No country has ever been great. It's been, I think, better than other times, but it's still, it's never ideal. So every generation has faced all a bunch and an onslaught of issues mm-hmm. that they feel the responsibility to fix. Yeah. And we can't yeah. do everything. When we're old, when we're like 70, we're, we're going to be viewed as like traditionalists. We're going to be viewed as conservative because we view things in a certain way now that future generations ideally would have moved on from an improved on. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's kind of just the nature of like living in our society and like things progressing. So I don't know. It feels like while not ideal, like I've never been the type of person to like want to settle for trying to achieve one thing or like Mm -hmm. trying to do one task. But in the end, you have to prioritize. Mm -hmm. You can't accomplish everything. If we spread ourselves thin, there's very little that we can do. Actually do. So... Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think, like, sort of to address the, like, overarching feel of, like, everything's led up to now is, like, of course everything that's happened and all the wrongdoings and all the fuck-ups from from history will culminate at the moment. And, I don't know, like you said, I think it's, like Dakota said, is we, it's our social responsibility to choose what is... Like the, the most, most important, pressing. not only in the moment, but also with foresight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think and it's a I, like a very good way to put something that's like a really hard truth. But mm-hmm. yeah, foresight. And I guess it's it's up to us to decide. I guess if we want to live in a racist society that's underwater, or no, not underwater, <laughs> or a, a equal society that's underwater. I think we can do both. It's just. It's the how, right? Yeah, it's the how. The biggest problem is the how. But, like, I've been, like, studying political science for the past four years, and it's, like, we can't determine the how if we're not willing to discuss it. Definitely. And we aren't seeing these conversations. Like, people, I don't know, people pretend to have the same goals, which is cool, but, like, (laughs) There's little understanding of like how the hell we actually want to like achieve these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, equality is great. Intersectionality is great. Like being tolerant of others' like ideas is great. But like, how do we actually get to a point where these are instilled like ideas throughout society? These ideas are evident in our in our governments and in our like in our democracy and how do we make sure that like obviously there's going to be slip-ups not everyone's going to be like not everyone's going to agree not everything's Mm -hmm. going to go to plan but how do we ensure that there's a justice system that's able and capable of righting these wrongs Mm. without being without like avoiding all the issues about like being authoritarian or totalitarian and 
being abrasive to human rights and things like that. Yeah. Emmanuel? Um, I'm just thinking about, because yesterday I, I went to the protest here in downtown Kansas City. And mm-hmm. all you, it, it is obvious and extraordinarily clear what people want. However, the how is always what is actually unknown. How do we get from point A to point B? I think it, it seems to be the case that people often do not know how to go from point A to point B, which is understandable. However, again, as Dakota was saying, people aren't willing to even have these conversations to actually discuss the how. Is People might be, I don't know, scared that because they don't know enough or people just don't want to hear another side. But I think the how is what is really the thing that isn't being discussed and needs to be discussed or else we'll, we'll never get from point A to point B, maybe, or we'll, we'll get to point B with now A.1, A.2 that needs to be fixed. Yeah. So we're are we like are we all on this page that we have to define how we are going to get to the how? Kinda. I mean, it wouldn't hurt. Kinda. Yeah, because like one thing I've realized is that I don't know. I would say more people agree with our goal of equality than we think, mm-hmm. only because. Like the goal ties itself to one form of how that a totally other like group of people that agree with our cause disagree with. Right. Like I would, I yeah. follow a lot of like I try to follow a lot of conservative people because I think that I need to have like both opinions like on my feet <laughs> and like while I see a lot of bullshit from both sides, I feel like. And in there is kind of the truth. So, like, I've been following, like, Ben Shapiro for a while. And while I disagree on most things that he says, like, he honestly agrees that, like, George Floyd's, like, that was a murder. Right. And he agrees that there should be protests. But the fact that we have people who are, like, completely hell-bent on, like, looting and rioting being, like, morally justified... We're totally isolating anyone that might have been on our cause, right. if not for like how we're trying to go about achieving it. Yeah. So, so, so you're, you're saying that we have to like we. I mean, for a lot of things to even pass, like you know, well in Congress, it needs to be like there needs to be bipartisan support. So, you're saying that we need to move this concept of racism away from a conservative or a liberal standpoint and put it in as like a people standpoint. Absolutely. And it's like even more than that. I was talking to another person who got mad at the fact that I was following Ben Shapiro <laughs> without saying that like I don't know, I was somehow not part of the movement because I was listening to viewpoints that he assumed were outside of that. Mm-hmm. So like he was saying that there are people on both sides that he viewed as racist. And I agree. Not all Democrats are for, no. like, on the surface, no. they might no, say yeah. that. 
But I would say like most of the establishment Democrats say that solely to gain power in order to do the same thing that we think establishment Republicans do in order to gain power, gain political power, use it for their own will rather than the will of the people. So as soon as we like get rid of this dichotomy and this political polarity that our system has created now, and move towards actually like issues based politics rather than politics based like uh party pay, party based mm-hmm. not like it's way more than conservative and liberal mm-hmm. i've always like mm-hmm. not liked that dichotomy because there's multiple ways of like viewing things there are social ways and there's economic ways and there's so many implications like you mm-hmm. and far between of like how you can establish that so it's more than just saying oh i'm on I'm on this side or I'm on the other side. There's, there's like more nuance to it. Well, like the duality really like that you talk about, it really just perpetuates itself through, I mean, you have this cycle of conservative and liberal back and forth. And like, I guess you can argue that slowly does provide social change, but I, I th- it just, like I said previously is, this duality just sort of adds to the stagnation of American politics. And I really don't think unless we either some for somehow a third party goes like actually becomes not a joke, which I sort of doubt will happen, yeah. or we do have a major establishment of people. The problem is oh go ahead. Oh sorry. But what I was saying is I think it's it's difficult for us to actually have a third party as i was we, yep. i discussed this point yeah. with uh in one of my comparative politics politics classes and we're discussing why we have a two-party system we seem mm-hmm. to have a two-party system because of the way that we conduct our elections which is a first a first fast to post yep a type of election it was in a winner takes all and because of that it's easier just to have two parties one on one side and one on the other so that at least someone some group some kind of majority some kind of plurality is represented more than and not one group being absolutely marginalized and getting absolutely no vote and before that before you go on because i know there's more you want to say like on top of that we live in a society where we live in a capitalist society where like the first thing that we like are taught to do is basically survive. There's people working every day. You have to work at least 40 hours a week to survive. You have to do a lot of like work outside of the 40 hours that you're actually like at your occupation to survive. Mm -hmm. So how can you expect people to do all the research on like multiple parties or even like a partyless system? How do you like expect an electorate to have enough time to actually look up all the policies and the stances of like the individuals mm-hmm. and the two-party system according to a lot of arguments simplifies that. absolutely and it is and because of this it's hard for people to get out of the idea of being part of one group and not part of the another group being us versus them because the two-party system just is works so nicely for the idea of being part of one group and not being part of another group. And because you're in this group, you must identify with this group. You must vote based on your group and so forth and so on, which creates the political divides. I think people must be, people have to be 
willing to forego that, forego the idea or the identity of being a Democrat, a Republican, a liberal, a conservative, and come at this in a way that is policy based. What is what what is actually what they want to do, rather than because I'm in this group, we have to do this thing. Yeah, well, I mean, like, it sounds like you're referencing this like um, this Hobbesian idea, of, like that. Then he say in like the Leviathan. You know, like where people will naturally cling to others that support them or like them, like that us versus them kind of thing. So, I mean, I guess like I was I was trying to think of the model um, that I look like that I learned about when I was in my in my politics class that I took um, that Dakota was talking about. It's like pivotal politics model or something like that, where it's like the 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 pendulum just keeps growing wider. (laughs) And it sounded like Emmanuel was getting to this idea that we in order to like really change that you would need um, like a coalition kind of system with like even minor representation of smaller groups that, so that way there actually is a voice. But then Dakota got into this idea that there isn't like, it's, it's hard because we've come to this idea of like this, like this binary kind of um, existence within American politics. The duality promotes polarization, I'd say in the fact that, it makes sense for each party to push apart from the other party so that their, their identities are so individual that it's like, like I said, it's identity politics. So you can identify with one, a left or right, and it's simple. And I don't know. I mean, I think this simplicity goes back all the way of like the onset of mass consumerism in America in the fifties. It's the simple marketing. How would you guys like what would you guys propose as a way to change that like for me my first thought would be like in the schools kind of establish like i guess um i guess constant planks in the platforms of people of certain parties but i don't know if that would actually really hold like to hold the school accountable for that yeah i don't know yeah i mean like i you can say that like say like i can say like a major step would be electoral like an entire rethinking of our electoral system but i that in itself requires numerous things and i think i don't know it's hard to say somewhere to start which is i mean why these issues are so complicated um yeah so we're we're at the how for the how (laughs) so I, I kind of want to get to this idea of the protests that we referenced earlier, how people were, um, David, you were saying justifying it uh, because of the the injustices that uh, specifically black people have been given. Yeah. I So I'd like what to... is your guys' stance on the protests, not the looting, but specifically the protests right now? I don't think many people, uh, at least willingly or will, or like braze brazenly will say that they don't support the protests i mean like i watched i I kind of agree with dakota like i i do watch a lot of uh more right-wing media that i almost 99 percent of the time absolutely disagree with but like i was i was watching a a, uh clip of ben shapiro and he was talking about oh yeah he supports the protests and this 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 so i don't think anyone no one no one's going to condemn the protests at least what I've been seeing is, and like even from like my own family members, is people kind of um, ignoring the protests 
and instead just saying, hey, there's protests that I guess inherently to them lead to rioting and looting and burning buildings. So stop the protesting. So they're just making well, this a, like string of connections. Like, well, it's a like, straw manning. Right. It's like a straw manning of the rioting where it's, I, I don't know, like in Minneapolis where the onset of the rioting started and there's been a lot of rioting. Yes, it's been an issue, but we're to the point now where it's pretty much just protesting with, yeah. I, I don't know, that's a whole other thing is talking about the third party interact like alt alt right third parties interacting and using this as their own base for their own political views but yeah yeah Yeah, like as i said as i said before i actually participated in the protests that occurred yesterday in downtown kansas city like i absolutely agree with the idea that that we need reform and things of that nature and i agree with the idea of peacefully protesting getting your ideas out in a peaceful manner without breaking things. However, I think this gets, gets to the, goes to the question of if you support the looting or not. Personally, if, there was, if, if they started looting and burning buildings and, and things of that nature, I, you bet that I'd be going home at that point because oh, I don't yeah. agree with that. Yeah, right. like, the, I don't... Go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't agree with anything that is violent. I don't think violence is the answer to meet violence. Violence plus violence just gets more violence. It doesn't get peace. I agree. You almost never yeah. see that. Yeah, I'm, I, I would say, yeah, I'm a pretty pacifistic person. So, like, mm-hmm. I hate I hate seeing things erupt into violence. But I don't, I don't condemn the rioting. The looting's a little bit more kind of whatever because a lot of times you do kind of see um like riot tourists kind of where you have people like like an example for minneapolis i i i've been watching a lot of like live streams and you do see uh, when the rioting and looting was more prevalent you did see a lot of people who were not a part of that community like from from more affluent areas like edina who would go in and kind of just take advantage of things um, so you'd say it's more opportunist doing some of it is i don't like i said i don't I, condemn all looting i i think there is um there's, there's a, like a there's line. there's a lot i mean some looting can it, it's a powerful message because it 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 instills fear and then it, it it's a strong point people see looting and they they see it like brightly we, you know that it's there i and so it's the biggest no you go i was just gonna say it it's good for maybe it's like a pr almost you know there's no such thing as bad pr which it it sucks to have to equate that to that because because looting looting does hurt especially small businesses and like minneapolis like that area that got looted i mean like dav and i live five minutes away from it we used to shop there the a lot of people who go there depend on that area exactly. and now it's now it's destroyed and what i hope is that governments both state local and you know uh federal will not look at that and say oh well they looted they burned down their community sucks i hope that they say that happened and it was a product of the anger 
And maybe some people did take advantage of things, but at the end of the day, it was a product of, of the inequality and stuff like that. And we help rebuild and, you know, uplift those communities that have been damaged. I think we need to view this as like these riots. They're not a individual problem. It's part of a greater issue that um, I like view it as like a disease. If like you have like say someone's vomiting or something, you're not just going to treat the vomiting. You're going to look like deeper in and trying to diagnose what caused it. Mm -hmm. So while I don't think that, any of the actions of destruction of property and whatnot are righteous or morally uh, sound. I think that we need to view this and move past the trying to uh, like like move past trying to uh, get people in trouble and like dwelling on the the destruction and address what caused it. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I, I def oh no, go, go. I guess for me, one thing, I don't know, I've been seeing a lot of this and like, I guess my assertion is that just because you can justify the action doesn't make it morally right or righteous mm -hmm. or virtuous. Because you can say, okay, the police agitated the protesters. But then, and like riots ensued. First of all, like the looting effects, like directly affects more than just the police who you're protesting oh, against, yeah. or even the institutional system that you're protesting against. Like it affects and how and looting in other cities and communities definitely doesn't affect the communities that like were especially uh impacted in the circumstance that sparked all of this mm -hmm. so like i don't know it's really hard for me to find virtue in the looting even if it's justifiable even if there's frustration because um my brother knows more he was talking about like the actual logical fallacy that this is too quick way. but like right. it's called the too quick way fallacy yeah i've heard of that could you explain it? Like, yeah, no, nah, he can explain it better than I can. Yeah, essentially, the two two quay fallacy is 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 an in essence saying, "And you, what about you?" <clears throat> it's essentially if somebody says, or somebody is confronted to the fact that they did something wrong, and then the other the person who says who did something wrong says, "Well, you've done some, something wrong before," or this this person has done something something wrong before, it doesn't excuse you. You still did something wrong. Sure, other people did, but this right. is about you. Yeah, you can't. It's, okay. it's answering criticism with criticism, which isn't actually, right. which isn't that's like, okay. yeah. And that's like the epitome of what's happening right now. People like it's it's more than just the right, but people like critics of the rioting and looting are being met by like proponents saying, "Oh yeah, like there's looting happening, but." your people have been looting the world for Absolutely. years. You see yeah. like a bunch of wrongs that you guys have done. Like, who are you to blame us? Boston Tea Party. So, like, right. Mm -hmm. And then the Boston Tea Party and those things that like are symbolic of revolution. 
Uh-huh. But in the same way, just like those things are wrong, that doesn't make uh-huh. wait just that doesn't give you an excuse to do it yourself. Uh-huh. It's you're by stating that it's wrong and saying that you're trying to do the same thing. What does that say about the action that you're like taking part uh-huh. in? So I don't know. For me, and obviously we're like we are, we acknowledge that we're in the state of this polarity, and where coalitions are so fragile. To take a stance that obviously isolates people who would otherwise agree with you, I think that's antithetical to like what we're trying to achieve. So while like like to conclude like while it can be understandable. There's a bunch of frustration and a lot of agitation from one side that doesn't validate it. And it actually hurts the mission overall. Absolutely. And to go along with what you were saying, I think even to equate some things like this alluding to the Boston Tea Party is, is a false comparison. I, the reason I say that is because the Boston Tea Party took place because there was tea being brought to the United States that was made by people back in Europe. It's not the people here in the United States making something and then just putting throwing it into the ocean, which is indeed what's happening here. Where these communities they built all of these these businesses and they take part in these businesses. They have jobs there. That's their place of employment. But they're burning that down. They're destroying what they built, what they came up with, which is compl- which is essentially antithetical to what happened with the Boston Tea Party. So I think, but in addition to that being the two cool quay fallacy, I think it's an absolute false comparison to make. I mean, but weren't like well, the ships that they I- burned and like raided? I mean, the tea was not American. It was, I think, it was like. Chinese, Indian, yeah, Indian, Indian, but like the ships, the ships were American. Like it, this was this was American against subservient Americans. So like, I don't, I, I agree. I think you can't necessarily say like this is the next Boston Tea Party. Like you can't, yeah. Any analogy like that has to be taken loosely, but. I do think there, there, I think there is some merit to at least, at least giving the sentiment that is around currently at least a little bit of, I don't know, like I, I do like a lot of things that Dakota has been saying, I, I do agree with. And that's why it's hard for me because I don't, I don't want to say like, I don't want to lessen these people's hurt and say like, Hey, don't do this because like writing is probably like, I, I, I doubt I've never done it. So I don't know, but I doubt it's a rational thing. No, I doubt anyone goes in with a mindset. Like I'm going to get angry and I'm going to break this window. So I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't want to, yeah. sorry. I was just, Another I was thing just, to take into account. Wait, let the cut. I'm sorry. Uh, I just, go, no, on that no like what is so bad or like what is so iffy to me is that like people in kansas city are breaking windows and looting stores in the plaza which have like while the boats 
that were carrying tea are directly involved in like and implicated in the Stamp Act and the injustices that Americans were facing. Right. What the fuck does like robbing a Gucci store have to do with Gucci? <laughs> right. I, I think like it... honestly, and then like in the same way, like I was thinking about this analogy like before, and I saw this where they were like like we're still the slaves on the plantation. So why do you why are you blaming us for trying to blend the plantation now? But like in the same way, like there's two options. You can burn the plantation down or you can take over the plantation, use it and build yourself up. Absolutely. And I think that's a much better way to do things than just to try to burn everything down, regardless of like if people were going to try to help you or not, regardless of people are involved directly in the plights that you're facing or not. And instead try to restart you can revolt, have your revolution, but don't try to burn everything down and try to start fresh. So is that really works? Yeah, maybe this is me going into that analogy experience. too much. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, you, uh, I'll just go quickly. Um, <laughs> from at least yep. my experience in Minneapolis, and the there's a majority of like the looting and property destruction was on Lake street and was on in the Longfellow shopping center. Yeah. And in case of the Longfellow shopping center, that is right on sort of a big divide between uh, a more wealthy neighborhood. And then uh, I less, uh, less. Like it's, it's the second lower income, lowest income area in the city. Yeah. And while I would agree that it is a bit, pointless the destruction of all this it also like it is a a, an attack on not just resources for them but like the there the shopping center has more high income areas like a cub foods and that was utterly destroyed but you look at the aldi which is a lower income and probably would be serving the longfellow community better as a whole and there was clearly like less destruction around there so I think the, the a lot of these businesses in the shopping center that probably its production displaced uh, lower income people mm-hmm. because there was a clear reason between the zoning of they placed this massive shopping center in a low income uh, residential area, I think, which because it would displace them versus richer people is they view this shopping center as uh, sort of a connected part of white America and the disparity and gentrification yeah 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 and i think a lot of it I'm, i have two things to say i think kind of going off what david said a lot of people are kind of viewing it kind of almost from like a, a socialistic revolution viewpoint which is uh, i think uh, scary to a lot of people um and then also i just kind of wanted to get deeper into that analogy about like the plantation because like mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I mean, it would be most beneficial to like take over the plantation, you know, cause then you, you have that, that community actually has a way to survive, you know, but that still, that still requires the, I'm not saying like, like when I say extermination, I don't mean like killing necessarily, but like, right. in, like in this hypothetical, like street, you have to get rid of the, 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 plantation owners and the, the white people and right. the 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 power 
in that house right and so which is why i have less of like a problem with like actually like the burning of the precinct yes okay that's literally dealing with the people okay. that wronged you I, there we go yeah, yeah, i agree parties that are seemingly un like un like uninvolved yeah targeted yeah okay yeah yeah no i like um i i think it was Peter, I think you were the one that posted this, but it's like one of those graphics that are like, I will not tell black people how to feel, how to mourn, how to grief, or something like that. Right, yeah. Um, Especially, like, like, I don't know. I don't, like, I, I I don't know. Like, when people, when I've, I've talked to some people about this, they're like, don't tell them that rioting's not okay. Don't tell them that, like, this violence is not, like, like, don't, don't, I guess, like, don't shun it or something. But no. I don't know. To me, like that that concept of like not telling people how to mourn is more of like the emotional side yeah. rather than the physical. Exactly. So it's like I do I do agree with like the burning of the precinct. Mm-hmm. Like you know, fuck that. <laughs> that was the exact thing that was hurting you. So yes, right. like beat it down. But like the the local you know like bodega down the street does not deserve the same fury that the Min- the Minneapolis Police Department. Did. Right. So I, I think. I think people, especially people of the black community, need all the space in the world to speak, to talk, to like for people to listen about how they're hurting, how their community is hurting. But I think there needs to be a line of like, what is it like when when does the griefing become irrational? Like looting. I mean, I'm not going to blame the looting on the protesters. I will say that it's impossible to say that there weren't some protesters that engaged in looting. (laughs) But the looting is like it's a symptom of the violence that's spread because there are like people, people there are people that Peter talked about like people who found an opportunity to to like fuck corporate America because they didn't they felt like they were served an injustice and as the, David was explaining it's people piggybacking on this movement right. whether or not like they're alt right alt left or whatever it just like. I think I think it's okay to tell people or to give people all the space to mourn, to grieve, and to express that. But I think the express the expression needs to stop when the casualties are the the locals. Mm-hmm. You know, like the people who are who have everything invested in that shop, right. and then it's gone. And then, like, I don't know what I. What's so weird to me is when. Like, an, the first hour of the writing, you have people saying that, yeah, you can't judge them for how they're mourning. You can't judge them for how they're grieving. But as soon as they see people trying to also riot, but might not have the same, like, justification as it, they quickly point it out. They're like, oh, these are the white people that are actually rioting. Yeah. As if somehow that's kind of like the I, don't, I was thinking it's the ends justify the means kind of because like what they're saying they're mad therefore they have more of a right to do something yeah. that's wrong than someone else right and that yeah. that's a Which dangerous me, like, like really weird that's a dangerous yeah. slope definitely i just like i think the point more of like that that post that China was talking about is, is more like, yeah, like you said, give them space. Like it's okay to have a conversation. Like we talked about this conversations are super powerful. Um, but as, as like me, myself as a, you know, cis white male, I 
am like insanely privileged. So I like David and I and other people that are part of this like demographic need to be careful not to kind of like take a stance of uh, superiority. I think that that was like the more that was kind of my take on that was just don't don't yeah, don't say like hey do this because I'm blah 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 like hear them out have a conversation um and and be hyper hyper um open to what they have to say but it's it that doesn't mean you can't you know disagree right yeah and i don't I, mean I to dominate this has... conversation but i have like one quick point yeah go for that it. like even i'm like i'm pretty anti-looting at this point for the most part of like and looting like third-party organizations that had almost no relevance to the situation at hand mm -hmm. but like i'm afraid to say something about it mm -hmm. yeah. like we are in the climate where if you don't agree if you aren't on either extreme yeah. we're saying either a the whole movement is tainted and wrong because looting is happening or mm -hmm. b if you are anti-looting you are anti-black those are the only opinions you see and I feel as someone who is obviously pro-black, but anti-looting, I feel like I don't really have a space to say that yeah. because I'm going to be viewed as an Uncle Tom <laughs> by people of my community and as like being trying to undermine their movement. Mm -hmm. Like our, right. the, our atmosphere isn't, that uh that which is like capable of having these conversations mm. but you can say it's oh it's too soon mm. like we have it's too recent mm -hmm. but like another shooting is gonna happen probably next week right. like yeah. when is a good time to actually talk about it yeah i mean like, like that's yeah like dakota you and i were talking about this earlier like if we if we just look at the like the twitter climate Specifically, <laughs> holy moly, man! Yeah, it is. Yeah, like so un unforgiving in any yeah. way, shape, and form. So the moment that you would even try saying that not quote and being anti-looting is not being anti-black, you'll still be labeled anti-black. You'll still be shunned for it. You'll still be bashed for it. Yeah, Twitter is um, toxic. And it's not even Twitter, it's, it's just social media in general. Right, just generally yeah. speaking, yeah. that'll just happen. Yeah. Twitter probably worse than that. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, that's like that's what I'm saying. It's like I I I probably I am more on the side that I am okay. I'm not okay. it that's like it's hard for me to say like it in words, but I'm I'm not okay with looting, but I also don't condemn it, which is like probably a little bit more extreme than you, Dakota. But I'm not going to tell you that you are wrong, you know, because I, I don't, yeah, I'm not a, I don't know. I think uh, yeah, we I think spend too much time trying to justify the looting and we just need to accept that, yes, looting is wrong, but also if something is causing people, if something is causing mass looting, that needs to be addressed mm. instead of. Yeah. Why, like the looting itself right. but, but that's know. the point right because like that's the issue like having that's kind of like if we just want to have this like debate for a second <laughs> that's why people support like 
peaceful protests over violent protests because violent protests aren't as easy to support and provide like a sidestepping ability for people to be like to not actually touch the issue at hand Mm -hmm. like having looting in the first place gives people an excuse to actually not talk about these issues so why give this excuse in the first place? so what do we do and i'm not i'm not saying like I'm not, this isn't a call to action on either side or anything. This is like a legitimate question and I just want to see what you guys' thoughts are. What What is the um, response to when uh, peaceful protests are, are responded to with violence? Because, I mean, you look at, and I don't know, maybe this is me completely um, like taking it out of bounds, but like you look at the protests that were like the anti-quarantine People like in Michigan showed up in masses with military grade weapons and yeah, they peacefully protested, but there was not even a similar response to the peaceful protests that are happening today. I I was at the uh, protest on, I think it was uh, Saturday. Yeah. In KC. Um, And at the end of it, I think it was around seven 30 or eight we had made a loop. We had started marching. We made a loop and we ended back at the Plaza fountain. Mm-hmm. And, and this was, they didn't, there wasn't a, uh, um, oh, what's it called? Curfew. There wasn't a curfew in effect that day. They just started tear gassing. They just started shooting the tear gas canisters all over the Plaza fountain area mm-hmm. unprovoked. So what is your, like, what, what do we do about that? Because, because peaceful protests. And like I said, maybe I'm, I'm taking this, out of context but it seems like peaceful protests that are for causes like like black lives matter are responded to more violently than peaceful protests that are for more even more mundane things like i don't want to be quarantined but let me show up with my ar-15 yeah so i i think like we need to kind of look back at like martin luther king jr's time like dr king advocated in sit-ins right Mm -hmm. those people were sometimes beat to death yeah and they like handcuffed themselves, but they didn't do anything. Like they just sat there and. Took but it. some did. And, like, like there was there's a very distinct yeah, no. two move. I think that's another. Like there's two. There was very distinct two movements, especially covered in like the way they they categorized it was there was like the Malcolm X, Malcolm X. and then there was like the Martin Luther King. Yeah. And if you look today, like people, I that's a huge <laughs> shift that I've seen. Yeah. People are much more Malcolm X today than <laughs> Malcolm. Absolutely. Well, I think, like, in terms of how we were taught, at least for me, is Malcolm X is, like, very much sidelined compared to Martin Luther King just because of the nature of what they went at. But I think we need to also acknowledge the effectiveness of Malcolm X and what he did for black rights, too. And And you couldn't have one without the other. I guess that's the argument. Could you? I don't know. Because I think you needed Martin Luther to appeal to the larger, um, predominantly white communities to see that this movement was really, was like, it's for everybody. He made it palatable to people. And Malcolm X, before he, like, before he did his Hajj, realized, was, like, pretty aggressive. But once you saw him come back before his death, like, between that period when he came back and then before he died, he, like, he... Like he felt like he had been lied to, and then he started trying to promote this idea of coming together, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't projected the same way as King, yeah. Doctor King, mm-hmm. 
but it was still necessary to really produce and grab those people that were not following care. Yeah, I mean, it, right. yeah, it's just it's it's weird because you look at it and like the, I, I that's why I agree. Like, I think peaceful protests are the way to go. Like, I I have to believe that because otherwise, that then that means violence is the way, and I I have to like hope that that's not true because I hate that. But it's like you look at it and it's, I mean, yeah, like you said, kind of Malcolm X was kind of drawn away from the kind of more extreme violence towards the end, but they were both assassinated mm. at the end of the day. Like they were both killed either for being for peace or being maybe less peaceful or whatever. And it's like, I don't know. It's just like, it sucks to see peaceful protesting responded to with with uh military grade violence like tear gas and stuff it's like it's just bizarre and i yeah i I don't know what the response is i get i get the caution from like uh, governing bodies towards like large groups at least at first just because they were innately destructive Mm -hmm. like Say in Minneapolis, like the second night of that they had curfews, they pretty much, no matter what protest or no matter what the grouping of people, even peaceful, they disbanded them pretty much immediately. Yeah. Which a, some people have trouble with, but I think that's reasonable for it to like try to A, prevent destruction, but B, we did have the danger of third party groups coming and that breaking up these protests was not only for protection of private property, but protection of the protesters too. Right. Like just like, just like Peter though, I, even yesterday when I went to the protests, they unprovoked, they released tear gas on us and we were Mm -hmm. peacefully protesting it. And I think, I still think that peaceful protests are still the way to go. Even if we're met with violence, because mm-hmm. again, violence plus violence just gets you more violence. And yeah, I think I think this is the case. I of course I don't know if it is anymore, but I think if we keep going this peaceful way, there could be something in the future that we reach as a society that is better than what we would reach if we kept going in a vile violent way. Yeah. What scares me is it, I agree wholeheartedly with that sentiment, but what scares me is like, especially with President Trump, we have someone who is very headstrong, who I could see not heeding to the calls of mass peaceful protests, even if like these go on until November, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I mean, just, just today he's talking about like enacting like the insurrection law. Which like that's that's scary stuff because that then then we're ca- starting to call the protests like rebellions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But doesn't yeah. doesn't that couldn't that send a message to yeah. people sitting on the sidelines potentially? Because we're just peaceful protests are being met with violent actions violent. by mm-hmm. the police, by the national guard, by the military. Would, but that that doesn't mean it. that it would produce I'm, like a, a result that people would join. Right, I'm not it saying that, it that people would. will like submit. Yeah, I'm not saying that it would necessarily, but I'm saying that it, it could. There's a possibility yeah. of it. And I think there's a good possibility of it. Do you think it would enact that's what change? Like do you think it would uh, influence 
someone such as Donald Trump, though. That's what I'm afraid of, is if, yeah. if we don't have a political figurehead like him support it at the level that he should. like Because as of now, it's just been very kind of passive, like, yes, like, George like, Floyd was murdered, like, which anyone can like, agree with. Whereas, right. so, like, I'm afraid, is what is he going to act? What is he going to do? Dakota, what was your question? Is that not, like, what the base of our... Like this whole discussion is though is to recognize that these are murders. Yeah. Like. Yeah. It took. I don't know. I hate to like, because I also agree. I hate judging people for how they react to things because like we're all different. Like you can't judge people for how they react to like someone in their community getting killed or someone that they feel like so close to getting killed, hmm. but. I don't know, it took the looting to, like, flip him. Like, yeah, he tweeted out, like, that day that, whatever, this was a murder, we're going to investigate this thing, like, we're for you, whatever. Yeah. But then it took the looting, looting happened, and all of a sudden, he flipped, and then you can guess that a lot of other people flipped. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the issue, like, obviously nothing's going to be, like, universally accepted, yeah. but... You can't do but, stuff that's going to automatically kick people off your side. Yeah, I agree with that. But without the, but without the extremity, you could argue that we wouldn't be actually pushing the issue. We'd just be dealing with an issue of four officers that murdered a man. Whereas now, because of the looting and because of all this, we're, this has become a major racial discussion. Yeah. And I'd argue that... So, the importance of that outweighs the destruction of the looting. And without the looting, I don't think we have such a big international uh, discussion right now. Wait, so are you saying that the the extreme likeness of like the way that people have reacted towards this murder is the like like is the justification for this? I'd say the the extremity without the extremity this wouldn't like the envelope wouldn't have been pushed and it wouldn't have become such a big issue and yeah i think that the destruction the looting is will be justified if positive action comes from this but do we even what? do we even have do we do we even have merit to justify that like, how can we really say that because of the looting, things are actually being talked about? Yeah, I would I, I would I would actually argue that, like, the thing that doesn't like I wouldn't say the extreme is the thing that is like that needs to be talked about, like how extreme everything's been or if that's the justification for this stuff. I think it's people's failure to actually connect all of the murders that like not even the ones that have been like that have blown up on the internet, but like, like even if you just connect the ones that have been blown up on the internet, like one literally started the, like the black lives matter. It was the, like it was Trayvon Martin. Right. And I mean, that was the product of all of the, the mounted pressure from all of the racial tension before then. And so people not really connecting all these recent murders, like Ahmad Arbery 
And then, I mean, there was all, not even to mention all the black women that were mer- recently victims as well. Like, like connecting all of these is really the string that people need to be talking about is like, why like that that's happening. Like, I don't think, I don't think we can properly justify as Dakota said, like all the looting and the rioting because it pushes people away from our cause. So even if it is a, even if like rioting and looting is a symptom of this complete disease that is racism, we have to find a way as Peter was pushing for like to cope with violence, meeting peaceful protest. And it has to be, I think part of it has to be discussed with both sides acknowledging that there is a problem of racism because that isn't that what we're talking about this whole time. <laughs> like it, do people like universally accept that there is racism in the United States? No, no. exactly. So, so I don't, because I mean, I've, I've, no. I've spoken to yeah. people. About I mean, it and they I, say yeah. it's like, it's whatever. Like yeah. my, I have close I, I family had, members like, who would say there's not, there's, there's no longer yeah, like systematic racism that any racism is is the, the bad few you know yeah that's i think again where we have to like define our stuff yeah. like i don't think anyone <laughs> i don't think anyone disagrees in the fact that there are racist people but people might disagree if our systems are innate are racist. and i think i don't think we've talked about like institutional racism and if that's different than systematic racism and if so what it actually means mm. like my brother and i have been talking about this and like i don't know it's hard for it's hard for people like outsiders to understand how there's like exactly institution and systematic racism yeah they just think it's caused by racist individuals and therefore it's not a systematic problem. It's an individual problem. Like, like individuals, like racist individuals with power that are imposing racism. Right. Rather rather than the institution fundamentally being racist. Mm -hmm. Would you consider like the apathetic view, like the majority, majority of apathetic uh, individuals as like part of the problem and like, by effect like racist it, at least uh, in terms of like systematic wise well, personally this is the silence is is the problem Sus- like a part of the problem argument yeah but I, yeah. yes what is the problem mm-hmm. is it, are we talking about systematic are we talking about like racism like on the individual level i guess that's where we have to start <laughs> yeah. right Right. I think I mean, like yeah. the question that uh, that you d- David asked is like one of the same questions that uh, what is his name uh, James Baldwin asked in the 1970s and 80s, like when when he's looking at the white liberals and how they just sit there and act and say nothing and act in no way when everything is happening. Yeah. Like I think, I think that Maybe. does play into a to, into factor, but I think, like Dakota said, it's it's just where are we trying to go, and what are we what are we fighting against? What are they helping? Is it helping a systemic thing or an individual based thing? I guess in total, like obviously yes, if you're silent on these issues, 
then yeah, you like injustice anywhere is a violent like injustice everywhere, right? Just justice so everywhere. by like staying silent on like issues that you see become part of the problem because like these problems last because no one tries to solve them. Mm-hmm. But like, I guess. I don't know if we're like going in circles, but like, what's the problem? I mean, there's police brutality is a problem, but is it a problem because policing is so? I mean, we kind of talked about this, but is it because like policing isn't innately racist? Are there laws? Is it the training? Or are there just too many racist cops? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think it. I think we have to go in these circles. Like I think <laughs> I think the fact that we've gone in a circle really, you know, goes it literally goes around this this whole thing going around like going around right now like this time in American history is that it's it's a cycle of the same questions being asked but ultimately there is one like there is one way to break it and it's addressing what the how is. And you know, I'm not saying it's up to us five dudes to like solve the new all founding of the... fathers. Yeah, like we're the. Like, I'm not saying we're the new founding fathers or like we the be? weight of. I mean, yeah, technically we could, but you know, yeah. I, I don't think that's not a good idea. I'm not smart enough for that. Yeah, I don't think I could cram enough like knowledge into my head in like that amount of time. But I think it's important that we address these because you mean I mean other people are talking about them. Like other people have to acknowledge that there is like at least one of the questions that we've asked is like a valid thing, yeah. you know. Well, so and- even if if we get other groups to talk about one question at a time, then I know maybe like we can all compile answers and be like, what about this? <laughs> like even conservatives yeah. or liberals, <laughs> like literally whatever side of the spectrum you're on, up, down, left, right, like that's that's where we have to go. Yeah, right. And sort of to talk about what Sean has been saying a lot with discussion and sort of go back to the apathetic thing is I don't just mean with apathetic people that don't want to say anything. It's more people that even refuse to hear the problem. Like say Peter and I, we have a group chat with all our roommates in it. And we had a roommate leave the group chat because we were talking about all the issues happening in Minneapolis. And that's what I have a problem with. I just refuse to even acknowledge yeah, that was Hank. Oh, like completely leaving Wait, the conversation. Hmm? Yeah. Hank just what? What did that like, happen? Like two days ago. No. No. Yeah. It, we'll be, oh. Yeah. How did like, I not notice that? Like, some of us. I don't know. We were talking a lot, <laughs> but it's just like he messaged us and was like, "Guys, I can't." I can't bear to keep hearing this. Like, it's, it's just like, it hurts. And it's just like, well, like, yeah, of course it fucking sucks. Like, yeah. It's a terrible issue. And I guess as like culturally as a white person, I am the cause, not, not individually, but, and I think that we do need to have a stronger response to political apathy and not just like, you have your right not to state your opinion, but, I, we need to rethink of you people. have like you have like a duty know. to others to know where you need to stand right. right like no yeah how do we hold each other like shouldn't we hold each other accountable yeah. for being like up to date or informed on the shit that is actually happening in our country like like there are 
like I know a few people that are as David put like apathetic, like to the point where they don't they just check out when people start talking about politics. It's like I understand you don't like it. Like I'm I'm not saying I'm over here like, "Ooh, dude, let's talk about some racism." Like I'm not enjoying this conversation. I'm having it because it fucking sucks and I just happen to have so much privilege that it's not it's not me. That's the one being like kneeled on. So yeah, fuck apathy. You got like find where you feel like you can do the most or where you can understand the pains of people. Yeah. I guess, yeah. yeah. In that case, I think apathy is, yeah, apathy is the enemy of progress. Yeah. There's no real way to create the coalitions that we need and even have the conversations. You can't have these conversations that no one actually wants to talk. Mm-hmm. And that's what, and that's like the weird thing is that it's not even apathetic people that don't want to talk about these things is that people who have stances also don't want to talk. Like, they don't want to be moved off of what they already know. They don't believe they can be moved. Right. Therefore, it's over. And, like, Mm -hmm. that's... I don't know. It's hard to ask, like, what's more... Like, what's worse. I guess you could say there are probably more... And I think I can confidently say there are more apathetic people than there are, like, passionate people. Yeah. So, I guess apathy is worse. Like only, at most, like sixty percent of people vote in the United States, which is shitty, <laughs> and like not going to improve if we still keep having like really bad candidates, like on both sides. Yeah. I think it's pretty. I don't think it's controversial to say Biden is not an ideal candidate for no. what's supposedly. No. coalition of people against trump mm-hmm. so yeah. like i don't know that's not gonna help to bring these apathetic people in mm-hmm. but no, like, yeah. what's worse is that the people who are going to vote and like are active in political life will not aren't willing to talk about this stuff either mm-hmm. like in my classes like in one of my first classes that i like took in like my political science degree like we talked about how Probably, there's probably only, eh, like, around 15% of Americans are, like, politically active. Right. Where they either keep up with the news, and they, like, actually might think about these things, or they're elected officials, or they vote, like, consistently, or whatever. And I can bet that almost 12% of those people are not willing to conversate with someone that they might disagree with. So that leaves 3% of people to become a forum for all the options <laughs> and perspectives and opinions that people in America can have. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that's like, it's so weird. yeah, that's, that's, that plays into the kind of idea. Like, yeah, you have all these people who aren't political and some of them can't be, you know, they don't have the time. Some people are working their asses off, you know, 60 hours a week and they, how are they going to be educated and you know, but then you also have people who are like 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 let's say like me for instance i could choose to be apolitical but i think if i did that that would be like that'd be my privilege like showing because i can choose to yep. be apolitical mm-hmm. because in the grand scheme of things it really won't affect me whether biden or trump is president 
because I'm I'm a I'm I'm a like upper middle class white kid like it really a lot of the policy changes aren't going to majorly affect my life. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think people, especially like affluent white people, like it's, it, it's definitely a place of privilege to just choose to be apolitical. And a lot of people don't, they don't, they're not saying like, I'm privileged. I'm going to be apolitical, yeah. but it's just something like people don't realize. Yeah. I, I don't know what caused like me to become political. Cause I don't like, <laughs> uh, yeah it, it was definitely a gradual thing and i'm definitely like more radical than i ever thought i would be mm-hmm. yeah so uh, yeah i don't i don't know what mm-hmm. what causes that change i don't know what sparks someone to become political maybe it is like maybe there is I some in my empathy to, level maybe not i don't know i don't know how humans work on that level it's, it's i like i've realized that for me it's empathy yeah mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. by me not seeing or like I live in fucking Olathe, Kansas, <laughs> and like I don't see police brutality like every day. Or I'm not in a community. I don't feel like our community is like super heavily policed. I don't see like cruisers just going down like neighborhoods all the time. Uh, like yeah, it's very prevalent in a lot, of, not as much as like in oh, a lot of urban communities. Yeah. Regardless of color, like if you're in an urban community. You're gonna have cruisers all over the place surveilling you. Basically, right. we saw don't like stop and frisk in New York. Right. That's just not happening in Lakeland. <laughs> that shit will never happen. <laughs> so, so, like, it was me like empathizing with people all around, and like, I want to be a doctor, and like, doctors are servants of your community, mm-hmm. and you, in order to be a good servant of your community, you have to understand what aspects affect your community and obviously almost all of those aspects affect your health right like my view is that like for me what became like why i became political is that like every single policy affects people differently and there are implications of all the i don't know like to be like coarse all the bullshit that you see on tv like, it's hard. Like, people, a guy got mad at me for treating stuff in, like academically <laughs> and like trying to play both sides and saying I wasn't real and that like academics don't understand the implications of real life. Mm-hmm. And I kind of get where he's like sees that because he sees people talking, like having quote unquote discussions on TV, kind of yelling at each other. But they don't really understand the implications of any of the policies they're actually making. Yeah. So, yeah. So like, I understand really mm-hmm. quick. I understood quickly that these implications actually matter, and that's why I want to focus on like identifying policies. But then there are people that literally experiences experience this shit every day. They see their literal brother or sister or family member like getting dragged to the ground every day, getting berated at traffic stops mm-hmm. shit like that so it's it's kind of weird but either of those two or a mixture of them like makes people political yeah yeah like with with me it's my of course my story is similar to yours <laughs> you're my brother but <laughs> i think the main reason that i became political because i mean i became political at a rather young age was because because of dad because of our dad because be, because he actually showed us 
that things happen outside of our community. He always says, mm -hmm. I want to know what's happening in the world. And if, if, if you, yeah. if you do that, then you actually see what happens in other people's communities and that your community is not just the blanket across the nation. You might be privileged enough to live as we are in Olathe, Kansas, and we don't have to experience any, any brutality at all here. When we're, and we could be living in maybe south side of Chicago and having to deal with the the stress of being being in those low income communities, having all of the the cycles that are that are happening there, and also having to deal with the police and things of that nature. And having having my dad show me that that exists and that this is not the world where we live is not the world. Just showed me that. Hey, there's shitty stuff happening to other people, and I think stuff needs to be changed. Yeah, and we have the power mm -hmm. to, to potentially change that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, like, if I may say, share my story, it's pretty short. <laughs> um, it was in like elementary school, and oh, wow. we were talking about Dr. King. Yeah, right. Talk about throwback. So, we were talking about Dr. King and segregated schools. And I was talking to my mom. I was like, Mom, how messed up is this? And she's like, Sean, you want to know a really bad way to understand it? I was like, Sure. And she's like, Imagine, um, like, imagine you and your friends. And at the, at, at that time, my best friend Ian was what is like, is white, right? <laughs> and she was like, Imagine if you and Kevin and Riddick all go to one school and then Ian and Brady go to another. And you guys don't get to be friends. I was like, well, what the fuck? And then on top of that, my mom told me and she has told me like these these awful immigration stories about when she emigrated to the United States. They would like in San Francisco, they would just call her rice cake Jesus. and other derogatory slurs because she was Asian. And for like for me to hear that at a young age, I was like, fuck that. Like. I, I need I need to hear it. I like I need to inform myself. Like I need to engorge myself with as much information as I can to prevent that from happening to other people. Or for people like, you know, little me was thinking, you know, I never want friends to not be together. And as like as as juvenile or like immature as that was, that that has been the prime like not the primary, but that was the originating motivation for me to get political. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, I don't know, like in terms of like my own, I wouldn't consider myself like an uber political person. But then when I, I don't know, when I like compare myself to the average person, I feel like I'm a lot more informed, unfortunately. I mean, like compared to our roommates. <laughs> um, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> That's sort of a low bar sometimes though. Um, <laughs> That's mean. That wasn't a burn. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, like, if you think about it, we're like, we live with nine out of the 10 guys are white and they're all from small towns in the Midwest. True. I mean, it's their privilege that they don't have to like consider politics. But yeah. going back to like my own political like upbringing, like I was raised like very liberal, I'd argue, though my parents always like maintained that they were independents and not Democrats because they didn't really subscribe to the whole two party thing. But I think the biggest thing that got me into politics is sort of the my dissatisfaction with what was considered the norm in my small town high school. Mm -hmm. It was like 
you have all these idiots wearing Trump shirts who don't actually understand policy at all, at all and they're just doing it because their parents are. And I was like, wow, this is low-key shitty. Like, none of these people are actually acting with any sense of reasonableism or, like, regard to their own thought. They're just sort of following it. I'm like, I want to actually, like, understand and believe in what I, uh, like, support politically. I don't know. Yeah, that was definitely a big thing that kind of like I realized was I remember like late middle school, I would just, I was kind of like anti Obama for no reason other than he was a Democrat. And then I realized like, why? And I don't know what sparked that, but still it's an interesting because it, if we like, yeah, I don't know. Because if you if, if you can figure out what makes people willing to have, you know, intense kind of public discussion, especially political public discussion, I feel like that that's a good way to cause change. Because like like you we've all been saying, if we get more people voting, actually like educated voting and people who actually know what they're talking about in terms of politics and are actually involved, that that does a lot. I agree. But like, I don't know, in the same way, like, it's weird to justify this, <laughs> but there's a reason that like, when our constitution was built, they only gave r- rich white landowners the right to like, basically govern our society. Because they're the only people that basically had time to do these things. They're basically the only I mean- ones that they assume to be informed about these things, which obviously isn't right, but in a way, like... It's understandable. We, like, uh, yeah, right? As people, I think we are just lucky to have, like, I have privilege in that, like, I grew up in a family where I didn't have to work as a child. There are communities where their children have to work from a young age. They have to go out and find ways to make money. I had time, I had the education system to like cultivate this essence of like, or this idea of that, oh, I can have the ability to impact my community. I have the ability to create change. I have the ability to become a doctor, get, be one of those people in the white coats that treat people and save lives. That's not the case in a lot of communities. Like they aren't, like it's not innate in those communities that, oh, you're going to have time to have a free mind and try to avail yourself of all these ideas, come to your own conclusions and like cultivate ways in your mind to like create this change. No, they have to figure out how they're going to get clothes, like food in their stomachs, clothes on their back. So how do we, how they're going to make sure their like dad is like ready. Yeah. How do we bring justice to that? Like, how do we make it so that that those people have the same political like they they have the opportunity right. to be a part of politics because like wouldn't you need to supplement the families like if there are like let's let's follow this this family of um people like where the kids have to find work then one way would be to supplement the family in like for example, with income, so that way the children don't have to, right. or providing certain resources that they would otherwise have to pay for, but don't make them pay for it, or or even, and or, 
like per, make this info. I think the the universal thing is make this information accessible. Yeah, you know, because like right. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't even care what side of the aisle you are. Like, edu- being educated about what's going on is gonna be is what, as Dakota said, set the rich white people apart from like literally everyone else, right at the beginning. Yeah, right? because they had time. So if we give people time or like resources so that way they can allocate their time to learning about it and creating like an informed society then would that not also like essentially reform the system as it goes i think that would but also to just to also go along with that not just to be an alternative yeah to supplement that i think as we said before it's it's been universally I don't know if it's been proven, but it's, there's evidence to, to suggest that funding education goes one, the longest way in having a society that is richer, that has that would potentially have more time to be able to address these issues. Because if, as, if yeah. you're not worrying about your, the economic part of your life, if you're not worrying about food and clothing and shelter then you'll probably have enough time or some more time to allocate towards these more quote unquote abstract things like politics, like philosophy, things yeah. like that. I think education yeah. is pro it might be, I just venture to say that it is the best way to combat that and to allow people to have that time. But so is the education more of just a correlation with that, more like how do I say this I get like people with higher income and more fiscally uh, comfortable people will innately have more education and because they're more fiscally comfortable they have more time to express more abstract thought like you said in politics Mm -hmm. so like yes education might increase that but I think it's also more of just a factor of a increased quality of living and less of a when you have to spend less time focused on the base essentials mm. to provide a sustainable life yeah you know, i guess this could take us in like a really like should governments be required to increase standards of living so that we can have a better political system which i think goes away from like kind of where we started this yeah it's definitely connected that was connected it is oh yeah without a doubt but it is like yeah (laughs) it's connected in that like everything's connected okay but i i think dakota's bringing up a good point and we've been talking for almost three (laughs) hours but i would say it's been very it's been very informed um, or like productive discussion, although all of us tend to be in some way left leaning, um, yeah. whether we do have like some right view or like right wing view or whatever. I think I think the real like main point about this is that we we need to talk about it and we need to talk about the issues, but we really need to talk about the how, yeah. the how, like, how are we actually going to bring change? How how do we think that? these people can how can we actually receive justice in the best way how can we best do any of this stuff so for anyone Mm -hmm. listening although we may not have provided actual solutions i hope we got your 
I guess your cogs turning. <laughs> and we just want to promote that idea that you like discussion is a step and whether or not it's the last step is irrelevant. I think it's it's one of the first and we need to get to a point where everybody can have that discussion. And, you know, some communities are hurting more than others right now, but we just need to to find a way to support them by finding the how. Yep. Right. Black lives matter, but how do we make them matter? Exactly. So okay, I of course I say this I've I think I've said this in two or three episodes now. <laughs> but I it is imperative, imperative, imperative for you guys, the listeners to this podcast, to also have this conversation with other people. It cannot just stop here. It can't just be us five talking here and then you you listening. It has to be you listeners us here and you talking to other people which can manifest itself to be, have a snowball effect to other people to actually have a conversation if they normally wouldn't we must have these conversations if we want to get if we want to get to where we want to go in society we even must if they're uncomfortable have, exactly even if it's uncomfortable yeah we have to do it and it is up to us to do it if nobody else will yeah so thank you for listening 